Yo, 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 welcome to Crate 808 and our series where we look at the greatest three album runs in hip-hop history and this week is special as we dive into the work of one of rap's greatest groups, The Roots. Here's a crew who didn't just pick a lane in rap, they tore through the scene and paved a whole new path of their own, adding a brand new dimension to the genre, which itself was a quickly evolving art form that was morphing constantly in the 90s. The Roots had a huge impact on the future of creative, heartfelt and significant hip-hop. Questlove, Black Thought and fellow band members including Malik B, who sadly passed away in 2020, Leonard Hubbard, Stephen Coleman, Dice Raw, Scott Storch, Graham Haynes, Joshua Roseman and Rozell have gone on to make a legacy but it all started here with these three albums 1995's Do You Want More Illadelph Half-Life from 1996 and Things Fall Apart their 1999 classic Throughout this journey, you'll see the close-mindedness the group had to encounter and how they fulfilled their vision of how they saw hip-hop culture as part of a greater musical history and brought rap a legitimacy that few others could. And whilst that may lead you to think that this free-thinking crew was a quirky outfit that derived solely from hippie jazz DNA, let it be known that The Roots could very quickly bring out hard-as-nails music that evokes the Philly streets they came from. And whilst we won't be focusing on their independently produced first album Organics, championed by the likes of Giles Peterson in the UK, please do make sure to peep that album out. It's standout hip-hop. The Roots are a group that's never sold out and keep artistic integrity essential to their music, and so they occupy a very special place in people's hearts. And today, as we journey to the soul of their music, you'll be hearing from a few of those people. From Black Thought and Questlove themselves, to some dope, dope contributions from Dar Adams, John Morrison, Zilla Rocker, Nate LeBlanc, Vice Beats, Weird rap and the next movement podcast yes yes this is stacked so settle in to check out our previous episodes in this series looking at the runs of jay dilla with dan charnas ll cool j with slug from atmosphere or the run that the hieroglyphics crew made with domino go to create808.com go check those out those are banging and food for your soul but right now let's get into it with a very special guest for this whole episode dead end hip-hop's very own root superfan beezy is here to break it down with us all so Let's get into it. How are you doing, my man? Man, I am doing great. Thank you. Thank you for calling me specifically to do this conversation with you because, you know, last time we had our three album run talk with the, with the crew, the dead end crew, we mm. was, you know, I was, you saw me, I was glaring about the roots, man. Like the roots, I still consider them to have like one of the best, if not the best uh, discographies in hip hop. Like Ooh. when you talk about just a complete from the debut album to their latest, like I feel like they have the best consistent body of work so yeah man i'm, ah. I'm ready to talk about and black thought is like probably like my top two top three favorite mcs of all time so it's like jeez what better way what better way <laughs> absolutely i knew that love was pouring when we were talking about the roots and i was like yeah. right i want to go into this run anyway and it's let's just tell the listeners the run is going to be 1995's do you want more illadelph half-life 96 things fall apart 99 i mean you're gonna, it's going to be hard to pick any holes in this. Yeah, yeah. But before we do jump in, BZ, I've got to ask you, I ask everyone who comes on, man, what's the least hip-hop thing you've done in the last 24 hours? The least hip-hop thing I've done in 24 hours? That is hilarious. <laughs> um, the least hip-hop thing I've done in 24 hours. Okay, so <laughs> my neighbor across the street has some kids, and I found out they're some big Star Wars fans. Right. So like literally, it was at the day before yesterday, the day before yesterday, I was having a lightsaber fight with two of the kids. 
Like I was, I, and I have a lightsaber in my closet. I have a blue lightsaber oh, in my closet, and I was having, and they was, uh, they was Sith lords, and I was Jedi's, and we were having a fight man. in the front lawn day before yesterday. What a beautiful picture that is! I'm so yeah. glad. <laughs> That's yeah. heartwarming, my man. That is heartwarming. That I was, love that. That was the least hip hop thing I, I, I done, I, I, and I was proud of that moment too. I was proud of that. <laughs> I'm, have pr- fun. I'm proud of you man i'm proud of you yeah. doing that <laughs> yeah yeah it would have been a little bit more hip-hop if you'd gone purple because isn't that mace windu is that samuel l jackson yes he's yes. got the purple yes. yeah but it, it's funny because when i ordered my lightsaber at the time i didn't even think to, i don't know why i didn't think to get a purple one because i have an artist that drew me as a uh as a jedi oh. and i had the purple lightsaber so it's on my instagram page and yeah like every time when i do when we celebrate may 4th you know may the 4th be with you i always post that picture because he he's a he's a he's a dope uh illustrator so that's yeah man. yeah I'm, I'm i'm a star wars fan i'm a star wars guy but i'm i'm but let me be honest i'm gonna be honest i'm a late star wars guy i started watching in order like i started with phantom menace mm-hmm. then you know attack of the clones you mm-hmm. know revenge of the sith then i went back and watched a new hope Empire Strike Back. So, like, yeah, I'm right. I'm a newbie. I'm a newbie uh, Star Wars fan, but I, I definitely enjoyed it. I enjoy Star Wars. Yeah. I know this isn't about Star Wars. We're supposed to doing the roots, but quickly, what yeah. is your favorite one of all of them? If you had to, if you say one, even though I hate I didn't watch this at the time when it came out when I was a kid, the impact of it. I would still say Empire Strike Back yeah, is my boom. favorite. Okay, yeah. we're going to get on, BZ. Roots yeah. is one thing, Empire Strikes Back is another. We're in. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But like I said, I wish I was a kid when I watched it because mm. I, I definitely see why everyone was like, they lost their shit when that happened. And you know what scene I'm talking about. I do. So, yeah, I do. Like, but still, even though I'm watching it, I'm like, holy shit. I'm like, do Luke even know? Luke don't even <laughs> like. So yeah, so watching it not as a grown person, it was like, okay, I see why people was so heartstrung on that scene. But yeah, yeah Empire Strike Back was like, that's my favorite one. I'm loving that. If we ever do a Star Wars thing, bang, first man on the phone. There we go. You gotta bring Mike Seaton on too. You oh yes. Because <laughs> Mike Seaton Mike was watching those in the 80s. So like he <laughs> he grew up with the with the first trilogy of Star Wars, where I didn't. So okay. but I'm I'm me and him are still big fans of the show though. I love that. I love that, man. The love is real. This album, why these three? What was it about this run that kind of makes it special for you? Oh, man. I think with this run that made it so special, you know, granted, shout out to Organic. Organic is still, you know, dope. I remember having my cassette headset before our basketball game, and I was listening to a friend of mine's had The Roots. It was a black case. I'm like, what is this? And all I heard was Pass the Popcorn by Black Thought. And I was like, oh, my goodness, who are these guys? So um, starting with uh, Do You Want More? I feel like we really started sonically hearing the sound of the roots. I feel like Black Thought and Malik B were really honing in to their to their own. At that time, you know, to me, Malik B and Black Thought were really like neck and neck. Like, you know how you got some crews mm-hmm. where you can see like, okay, one MC is, you know, you can tell us a it's a difference in, in, in skill set. But do you want more? It was definitely dope to hear Malik B and Black Thought really just being like, oh my God, who had a better verse on that? Oh no. You know, like, you know, and then you had Dice Raw you know, yes. on there. Man, like, do you want more? I, I think it was the start of, okay, here come the roots. Like, they're really coming. Like, mm. the first album, Organic, was raw, mm-hmm. but you really starting to hear the more polished of uh, the roots of Roots Sound starting with that album. 
you know, you got to think at this time, you know, Tribe was still killing it. Yes. Uh, De La Soul was still killing it. You know, you had Diggable Planets that was coming on the scene. You know, another group that was kind of like infusion jazz into mm-hmm. hip hop, you know. So, yeah, I, I think they were still under the radar then because you just had those big groups hit, hitting the airwaves. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. You know, they had that, that jazz element into their sound. So I think, you know, yeah, Souls of Mystery. Like, it was just so much still kind of, yeah. you know, hitting, killing the scene at the time. So I think 95... With do you want more? It was kind of like, oh, okay, mm. these guys are here to make a make a make a point. Yo, 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 just breaking up this episode to tell you all about the Crate 808 Patreon, a place where you can help support the show so we can make you more dope rap chat and to go out there and get some bonus episodes under your belt and also get involved with the live chats with the Crate 808 crew and guests. Go to crate808.com or go to patreon.com slash crate808. Sign up for as little as buying us lunch every month. You can get two bonus episodes, including hidden gem album reviews from the golden era of the 90s and also you get our series focusing on mf doom and jay dilla and also the wu-tang chronicles once a month we drop an album review of every single wu-tang member we're going to go through every solo album and then review it for you guys and right now it's ghostface go in there get them ghostface killer editions in your catalog so get involved help us grow this show and yes big yourselves up enjoy the rest of the episode boom the interesting thing is i came late to this one i went backwards basically it was okay. more illadelph that was my first like bang okay. but i remember okay. i remember the first time i heard this i was like oh they just seem so being a bit of a naive i was like they seem so loose and like kind yeah. of not um disciplined they seem like they're just doing whatever they want until you keep listening and you're like oh no actually that's just real discipline but they know when to jam out on this album and i think there's more of that in this but as you go you can see how it evolves by the time it gets to the third album we're going to talk about today where you're like I would never have thought you guys can make it so concrete so strict like the way you're honing in on certain bits of that song now you know how BZ is feeling on this run let's quickly get some insight into how this group actually formed here's Questlove talking to Red Bull Academy on the origin of the roots including a chance meeting with Thought who was already building up his legend as a freshman I met Tariq Trotter uh, the first day of school, September of uh, 87. Uh, it was the first day of school. Both of us were in the principal's office. How, how many of you people have seen uh, Ferris Bueller's Day Off? You remember the scene when, um, yeah, Jennifer Grey was talking to Charlie Sheen on the cop bench or whatever? That's pretty much how the meeting was between Tariq and I. Drugs? Thank you, no, I'm straight. I meant, are you in here for drugs? Why are you here? Drugs. I was in the principal's office to get uh, ID so that I can get uh, free school tokens. And he was getting suspended on his first day of school. (laughs) He was doing uh, unmentionables with uh, a female in uh, the girls' bathroom. So pretty much we had to, it was just just like a, a polar opposite thing. Of course, you know, the legend, this freshman guy coming in, getting suspended on the first day of school for doing whatever, like that, that built his legend up, you know, and sitting there for a half hour. He was kind of ragging on me, but then, you know, we sort of knew that we had hip hop in common. But, you know, I guess when, when he got reinstated back into the school, like four or five days later, like he used to always walk up to me and say, like, you know, play, play, kick the ball. Now, to him, kick the ball is a song by the Crown Rollers. But to me, kick the ball is 
you know, God made me funky by the headhunters. Even though we were talking two different languages, pretty much like that's how we communicated. It was like a novelty thing to him. The hip hop production was so spare and so uh, simple back in 1987, 1988. Uh, majority of it was just breakbeat driven. And now we've got into the germination of this exceptional band. Let's look at the craft and history behind their actual music. Philly writer John Morrison took a real deep dive into the Roots' major label debut in this superb book, Considers Do You Want More?, which has been a vital resource in our research around the Roots, so definitely go seek that out. We'll be hearing from John himself later, but one thing he noted which may be essential in our understanding of the Roots in the context of music history and the 90s is that that era's most inimitable acts created dynamic tensions through synthesis and like Nirvana, Public Enemy and Sonic Youth the roots became a whole that's greater than the sum of its parts. John also notes the integral part that a gifted radio DJ from South Philly Rich Nichols played in the roots' development as a band. So with all this fusion going on around them and battling the likes of boys to men in high school talent shows the crew grew and took in the likes of veteran bassist Leonard Hub Hubbard and Scott Storch a skilled young keyboardist. But back in 1991, Thought heard of another prodigious freestyler from Philly's West Oak Lane neighbourhood, Malik Abdul Bassett, aka Malik B. The story goes that the two met and battled to a standstill in a laundry room on campus, and the rest is history. So now you've got that down, let's jump back in with Beezy as he digs into Do You Want More, the first classic album in this run. What are the moments for you where you will just be like, that's the track I'm going to play now? Swept away. Swept Away was definitely one because like I said, you know, this was this was around the time where like really jazz was really being involved in the hip hop as far as just really having live instrumentation on, mm -hmm. on your album. So I think Swept Away was definitely the one where I was like Black Thought and Malik B, man, the way they just trained Malik B started off uh, the rhythm just sways like the sorcerers I slays. Yeah, man, Malik B was just <laughs> killing it, man. Like I was, and then you know, like I said, Black Thought. Well, you say, uh, yo, hello everybody. Do I introduce the mic mercenary unclear to your ear? The exquisite pattern uh, that you hear, like, I, yeah, 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 yeah. Swept away was definitely one, man. That, that that was definitely one where I was like, oh my god, like this shit is nuts. And, and it, you know, at that time, because it is easy to look back and think like, oh, well, Thought was fully formed yeah. genius at that time. Malik B is going to RIP, man. He's one of them man. unheralded, unheralded MCs where he's going toe for toe. Yes. Bringing, he's not copying. He's bringing different flavors. Yes. And it makes you want to go back and you think with someone like Malik B, I, I listen back to Unpredictable. He's like, I think, I can't remember, I think it's like 2015, but he was with Professor Green. He did like a project with yeah, Professor Green. He did, yep, with, with, with Mr. Green. Professor, yeah, Mr. Green, Professor Green, I think it was. It yeah, was one of the one. two. Yeah. Oh my God. When I go back, that is such worth a revisit and you forget. Do you know what? He was, he was bringing it on everything he was involved in. These three albums, he's on them. 
Man, I love how much Beasy loves Malik B and swept away. So next up, we've already mentioned him. Let's jump in with writer, DJ and sample flipper from Philadelphia, John Morrison himself. Here's the Philly native on his love for this spectacular three album run and how he's grown up with this group. I'm from Philadelphia, born and raised, and the Roots are like our hometown heroes. I remember before Do You Want More came out, seeing Black Thought and Malik B walking around our neighborhood selling cassettes of the Distortion the Static single out of a shoebox. And then you fast forward a few weeks or a month or whatever it was later, and you see their video, Distortion the Static, on TV. And then you see, uh, we saw the Proceed video and you see kids from our neighborhood in the video. Like it was ill to see them, you know, ascend in that way. And thinking about that three album run of Do You Want More, Illadelph Half-Life and Things Fall Apart. To me, each of those albums contains a bit of the energy that was happening in Philadelphia's music scene at the time, right? So you have Do You Want More, very much inspired by Philly's jazz legacy. Uh, Questlove talks about this in his book, Mometa Blues. He talks about listening to Rich Nichols' radio show on Temple's legendary jazz station, WRTI, uh, a station that has a long history of playing like avant-garde jazz and fusion next to bebop and all of these different styles. So you see that reflected in Do You Want More? And then Illadelph Half-Life comes out and you have like this dark, heavy like sample based production you have kilo and chaos doing production on it the grand negas and then you have them bringing in folks like bahamadia mars co-op for guest uh spots so so illadelph half-life to me very much reflects the sound of mid-90s philly underground hip-hop and then you have things fall apart which in many ways was shaped by this energy that was happening in the city but it also influenced a lot of what was going on in the city so you had these dual scenes happening at the same time in philly in the late 90s and through the early 2000s you had the black lily slash neo soul scene but then you also had the street hip-hop scene just like raw aggressive energy so you listen to things fall apart you have a song like you got me which was written by jill scott an alumni of the black lily open mic but then you also have adrenaline which features beanie siegel so all three of those albums you know are obviously special to me and they're very very much philly on an energetic level thank you john for that incredible breakdown on how their home city informed the music of the roots in this run and let's not forget another city that helped shape the roots London. As John notes in his book, the band lived in the UK capital in 1994 after a push from their label Geffen, who'd already had success on these shores with Nirvana, and Thought breaks it down like this. We thought we'd have something in London. Opportunity, money, something. We had nothing. We were staying in flop houses, and then sometimes we were literally homeless, eating cheese and bread. So that's Black Thought's account of it, but as John Morrison writes, the roots did fit perfectly with the city's acid jazz scene as it was reaching a critical mass. So with that experience from London under their belt, as well as organics and Do You Want More ready to go, it was clear that 1992 to 1994 were formative years for The Roots. It was in this brief period of time that saw the band grow from a novel live act to an experienced road unit and an inventive studio band. So now let's get back to BZ to talk about our favourite cuts off of Do You Want More. One of my most rewindable moments on this whole thing is Distortion to Static. 
Beasy, man. Talk, talk to me. What, what do you feel about that cut? Oh, man. <laughs> distortion and static, man. Like, that was so ill how they, you know, of course, the title of the track, how they would distort their voices throughout the verses. Like, you know, mm. kind of like throughout certain things that Black Thought would say. Yeah. It would get distorted and it'll come back to the regular vocal. Like, I thought that shit was so crazy. And it was, that, that was one of the joints where I feel like if I was in that live studio right now and you can hear Quest Love just <laughs> going crazy on the drums, like the drums, them, them cymbal crashes, like everything, man, with the uh, with the vocals, with the vocal sample. Ha 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 ha. Like the laugh. Yeah, oh like, my God. Yeah. We, we were talking about best laughs in hip hop and my first two are always Lauren Lauren on Fuji La and I was like the second is Roots on that hook because it's so infectious yes what was it for you with Roots like what was it Roots that were bringing a bit different for you you know with them being a live band they definitely brought like a more natural element if that makes like a more natural feel to hip hop I, th- I feel like that at the time was kind of missing, you know, because, you know, during the early to mid 90s, you know, you had West Coast stuff that was really, you know, killing it, booming it with Dre and them mm-hmm. out there. Ice Cube. You had the emergence of the East Coast coming back with Biggie and, and the Wu-Tang, Black Moon. So like coming from Philly, I feel like they brought a definitely a different natural free flowing vibe to, to hip hop, like listening to these albums. You know what I'm saying? And I'm not really saying none of these other artists wasn't bringing that. But I just feel like they just brought like just such a natural like, oh, shit, this is a great element that I think that's really missing hip hop right now. Yes. I'm glad that they're bringing to that. That's why they was such a breath of fresh air at that at that time when they were coming up. It was mm. amazing, man. It was definitely amazing. You know, I kudos to everyone who, who lived through it like I did. Mm. But if you missed out, man, you definitely missed out on a, a small era, you know, in that natural hip hop feeling that was that was happening at the time. I love how you use the word natural there, bro. Because this is a whole new dimension to hip hop for me, where I'm listening, uh, nothing else is delivering this dimension of free flowing live. You could tell it was live. It just sort of showed hip hop is evolving before my very eyes. Then you think about the closed mindedness that you must have had. Like, you know, where they're abandoned, they're touring and people must have been like, what are you again? Are you a hip hop group? band i don't understand like they must have encountered quite a lot of people who are a bit like ignorant to live music instrumentation it's not gangster it's not boom bap mm-hmm. what is this you couldn't put no style to it you couldn't say like what type of style this was at the time so yeah like i said at that time you had you know southern boom stuff you had you know like mm-hmm. not really trap music but like bass southern music you had the west coast g-funk Yes. You, know, you, you know, and then you had Boom Bap in New York. So like with, with DJ Premier and Pete Rock. So like with The Roots, it was like, you don't even know what style the card is. It was just like, like yeah. I said, it was a natural free flowing type of vibe that was definitely, that definitely was needed in hip hop. Yeah. And I was listening to just a few interviews about with Questlove because he's such a fascinating bloke just to listen yeah. to. When this album came out, it wasn't even a hip hop label. I think it was like Geffen, I think it's DGC. So it's like a grunge. There was like, it's actually punk rock grunge label. And Questlove, there's a really interesting quote. He says like, um, everyone looked at it as a bit like a gimmick and they were like, oh, you know, all you guys do is like, you're playing live music and you're making it jazzy and all this. And he said, um, the interesting thing is when he'd hear someone like Grandmaster Flash, Grandmaster Flash was like, because I'm constrained, I can't afford instruments. I can't play music loud because I'm in a flat and like in a council flat and people are going to get fucked off and all this shit. If I could have, I would have played drums like Questlove. But because I couldn't, I had my decks. And Questlove was like, it's weird that people think it's a gimmick, but it's just because hip hop was so constrained, it naturally evolves and we're just part of it. It's not a gimmick, it's hip hop. 
I found that so fascinating that people thought like that because I don't think I don't think they do anymore because of people like the Roots, you know. Um, yeah. I was going to say to you then. Do you remember, right? There was a rumored supergroup with the Roots, but it wasn't just the Roots. It was Thoughts, Common, Pheromonch, and Absolute. Do you remember this being a thing? I don't remember that hearing that, but I do remember hearing like a you know during the I don't know if you're familiar with Lyricist Lounge. Like mm-hmm, when they mm-hmm, that, Lyricist mm-hmm, Lounge. Yes. You know, yeah, Black Thought, Feral Monch, and Common, they used to roll a lot together in doing in those freestyles, doing those ciphers, you know, going on stretching Barbito a lot. So it, I didn't hear about them forming a group, but it was a point where they were always together a lot. You know what I'm saying? Whether if it was just on some regular, I'm at the studio recording, come through, or if it just, they're going to do a track or freestyle together or cypher together. Right. So that could be some truth to that, but I never heard about it, but they did used to roll around. They used to be together a lot, man. Them three. Do you know what? It's a bit odd when I listen back to these and they're so suited to Pharaoh. These albums, he, especially Illadelph, he could have landed on these. And it's weird that even, yeah, even the last one we didn't talk about, Things Fall Apart, he would have been perfect singing his voice, but what would have, should have, could have, and the ifs and buts are just too much. Now, before we move on, we've got to dig into this idea of The Roots as a band in hip-hop, when being a hip-hop band wasn't all the rage. In time, it led to numerous misconceptions of the group, one which landed on a Hot 97 conversation with Black Thought and Questlove themselves, talking about Stetsasonic's Daddy-O, who proclaimed The Roots were in fact a jazz hip-hop fusion band and not a hip-hop band. So let's hear from them now and also keep it tuned for a great story on Nas's own misconceptions of The Crew. The Roots, we are, we are, we were and are and continue to be a hip hop band. I always looked at Stetsasonic as, you know, an ensemble. They definitely uh, pioneered the incorporation of live instrumentation right. in hip hop. You I know, mean, they like did say the, the definition the, of a hip hop band. The, the Roots, we all things yeah. are all people. Right. You know what I'm saying? Um, if you need us to be, you know, country western infused, whatever, then that's what we offer to check. You know what I mean? But I mean, at the, at the end of the day, I, I don't think he was saying that you weren't hip hop. I think he was saying because of how diverse you are musically, right? It lends itself. Yeah, but to, you're not. You, we, yeah, we, but that kind of makes we, us root off we, the red we, news. We, we diverse musically and all that, but we hip, we hip hop. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What I think Daddy was trying to say was that maybe in the studio they came off more as traditional hip hop, quote unquote. Whereas I think he might think that what we do on stage is also what we do in the studio. But, you know, Illadelph Half-Life, each of our albums have demonstrated... It's very hip-hop. Our very first two records were, yes, like 100% always us. But, you know, I mean, we sample joints. We, whatever makes the music sound great is what our approach is to crafting songs. That's right. I think people are still learning about the roots after all this time. I think after it's freestyle, people are just learning it. You know what I mean? Yeah, that must have been crazy to have the freestyle have people like, yo, you could really rap bro <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. There, was, there was one time where like I used to be dismayed by that we we did a gig once uh, where Nas was sound checking with us and this is like when we did our first Radio City Music Hall show like 2007 2008 oh, right, right. and by the look on Nas's face I could tell like yeah this this is the first time you decided to just take five minutes out to see what we were and it was right. it was like a like I wish I could have memed or gifed that moment it was just like Oh, I was wrong about them. They, they are really real rapping, rapping. Yeah, they really like, getting it in. I love that. How even hip hop legends wake up to the roots. So now let's get back to 1995's Do You Want More? An album that declares from jump that you are all about to witness some organic hip hop jazz 100% 
groove. As John Morrison puts it so eloquently in his book, the band's bold, playful experimentation, their open-ended and exploratory approach to sound, and the struggle to reconcile a wide range of musical influences are what make the album so dynamic. Part of the appeal of such songs as Swept Away, Distortion to Static, The Lesson Part 1, Quest vs. Rozelle, and others on this album is the feeling that listeners are witnessing a band in the process of finding its own identity. And let's just take a look at the sheer experimentation from the roots on this album. Whether it's Ursula Rucker's monumental poetry on the unlocking, who they only got on board after renowned writer Entozaki Shange dropped out, or Distortion to Static's oddly beautiful laughing chorus cribbed from Pink Floyd's brain damage, or Silent Treatment's journey to becoming a classic rap ballad, or Lazy Afternoon's impeccable work with delays, or What Goes On Part 7's bagpipes. This album is pushing the genre's boundaries. And then you have SA Human, an intoxicating and powerful live experience that somehow on this album bridges that rocky road between your actual live performance itself to laying it on an actual record. The Roots play a pivotal role as a major organ in hip-hop's continued vibrancy and evolution. And that last word right there, evolution being key. Q Questlove talking to Red Bull Academy once more on that very topic. If there was one Roots album in which we felt like we had something to prove, then I'll be honest and admit that our third album, Philadelphia Half-Life, was that record. Organics, the only people that we needed to reach with that were the record executives that wanted to see what the group was about. Once we got a record deal, that was cool. Because the, the marketplace had changed so drastically with Do You Want More, I'll say towards the end of it, do you want more? Was was sort of like uh, if you, if you guys have ever seen the the scene in Reservoir Dogs, the movie, what they call the Mexican standoff, the very last scene of the film, where like there's five guys in a room, they're all holding guns on each other. I ain't known her before, but no more. You lost your fucking mind, Joe. You're making a terrible mistake. I'm not gonna let you make. Come on, guys. Nobody wants this. We're supposed to be fucking professionals. You know, just just to be on the road for two years and, you know, the, plus the, the psychological grind of, you know, you, you, you arrive in a, a, at, a, at a venue that holds a thousand people, only 40 show up. I mean, there's no way that you can't help but think, oh, God, I'm a failure. When we got to Philadelphia Half-Life, that was our conscious effort to make a real hip hop album. But because that album was such the, the polar opposite of the album that came before it, then I just said, well, wait, why don't we just do this from now on? Why don't we just reinvent ourselves every album out? You know, for every album that comes out, I expect a particular uh, fan base to be sort of turned off and alienated. For all the people that cry like, oh, you know, Do You Want More is the definitive Roots album. Mm -mm. When that came out, like Organics had such an audience to it. Like all the, the boho, jazzy, incense, lighting, you know, the, all the poet, you know. Beatnik people, right, right. They, we, all the Black Jack Kerouac people, like we thought we had them. When they first heard Distortion of Static, they were like turned off. Like, what is this? Like, what is this crap? You, you guys are rappers now? Like, that's what they were saying. And sure enough, when Philadelphia Half Life came out, all the the Do You Want More supporters were like, Ah, this is garbage. What are, what are y'all Wu Tang? And then when Things Fall Apart came out, he was like, Ah, this soulful. Nah, what? A, where's that hard Wu Tang stuff y'all was doing? You know, like just for every album. Amazing how the power of having nothing to lose can manifest itself into something like Illadelf Half-Life and how you can never actually please hip-hop heads 
as a whole. But let's dip back into our hidden gems and most rewindable moments of Do You Want More, be it the unique abnormality that is the lesson part one or how thoughts rated X larynx would wreck your context on I Remain Calm or the sheer joy encapsulated in Quest versus Roselle. We had a lot to pick from. Let's get back to BZ. Were there any moments on this album then that you would say are the hidden gems? I would say, shoot, I would say the the lesson part one. Oh like, man, I would say lesson part one doesn't get talked about enough. That is so strange. That production yeah. on that is just weird. Lyrically versatile, my rap definition is wild. I wrote graffiti as a juvenile, resting on deuce tray and used to boost great kangos with 555 souls from the streets of the Philadelphia can say for monetary gain. Niggas are slain on the train. It's homicide for wealth stuff. Yeah, I, I feel, I, you know, with the with the with the beatboxing, Black Thought, Malay B, and 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 you know, Dice Raw just again killing it. So yeah, yeah, I will say I say that track doesn't get talked about enough. And the thing about the lesson part one is. It's one of them things where you think um, when they do just have beatboxing and then they do just put it with live instrumentation. I was listening mm-hmm. to it thinking this is like evolution in one track. Like you've gone from the 80s where people are just beatboxing and now you've added all this instrumentation and production on it. It's like a time travel in a track. I would say to people, definitely go rewind that one. That's definitely up there for right. me. That To me, that was like the Dice Raw coming out party. He really honed in mm. when he, his features on uh, Do You Want More. So like, if you didn't know Dice Raw, you definitely was going to know him after the lesson part one. <laughs> and, and do you know what? They're all hardcore. Not, they're not like grave diggers. This is the thing, right? You can say about them, oh, they're, they're jazz DNA, you know, they're jazz hip hop. Yeah. Roots can switch it and do Mob Deep. If they want to do Mob Deep. You know, let, let's not forget, they they from they from South, they from Philly. You know what I'm saying? Philly is... is you know, especially during the eighties and nineties, yeah, you, you certain parts of Philly, you had to, you had to, you had to be hold your own. So yeah, yeah. They, can, they can definitely go grimy. I mean, Beanie Siegel's from Philly. He, he him and Black Thought came up around the same way. So yeah. like, let's not forget that they can definitely, like you said, go grimy. They can go mile deep on you if you want. Yeah, uh, there was one hidden gem that I was going to talk about, which is um, the title track. Do you want more? That cut, bro. That first twenty seconds, building up, building up, building up, uh, bang, and then when thought comes in, it's just like all over. And when I listen to it now, I have a feeling that might be bagpipes he's rapping over. Well, I'm a fly Philly nigga. Finger on the trigger, MCs repent from sins, God's coming again, original. What visionary individual, original. What visionary individual, I proceed. As I give you what you need, like I'm a medical doctor, watch the damage I inflict properly. Ain't nobody rising on top of me. I be dropping while plotting my mic, monopoly. Got to be, got to be reality. It sounds like bagpipes. I was like, what the, what is this? He's rapping. Again, experimental. It has a shouty chorus and I love a shouty chorus. You know, like, but it's it's a weird production to go with it, and they were just so unique, man. I, I love that cut, love it. These guys are really street because even some of Black Thought lyrics, even on that song, particularly where he say, um, um, well, I'm a fly Philly nigga, finger on the trigger, MCs repent from oh. sins, God coming again, like, yeah, like, yes, <laughs> like you can Black Thought can get grimy if he wants to, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, Malik B can get grimy if he wants to, absolutely. Yeah. Beasy, this is how grimy they are, yeah, because I was listening to uh, I've listened to a few interviews and Thought was talking and he was like, oh, yeah, so you know, silent treatment on yeah. this album, like, yeah. that's Thought singing. He's got grimy and he can sing. And apparently that was like Biggie's track. So Biggie would come and go, oh, Silent Treatment is my cut. I love Silent Treatment. And he would sing Silent Treatment in front of Thought. Girl, you know that you need to stop giving me the 
And you're like, wait, so Biggie loved thought on silent treatment. And then you start yeah. thinking of player hater, you know, these. Player, <laughs> yeah, life after death. Yes. Life death. Yes. Yeah. And you're like, maybe, I don't know, maybe Biggie was influenced by a lot of different things. Definitely Delphonics, ah. but. It's wow. like, damn, like the dope gem. I never thought about that. You dropped the dope gem. But that's thought wow. though, bro. You know, I know Justin Hunt did a brilliant video on thought, you know, should he be a top five MC? And his argument was amazing. And you're like, yeah, actually. And including what I'd forgotten, he does impressions of G-Rap and Kane. On boom. On boom. Boom. On the tipping point. It was off the tipping point album. Boom. Yes. I remember I remember when I first listened to that album. I was like, oh, snap. I'm like, Black Thought, Kane, and G-Rap on here? And then I was looking at the crest. I'm like, how come I don't see G-Rap or Kane on here? Oh, I'm like, what's damn. going on? And then I listened to it again. I was like, oh, my yeah. God. Speaking of that, mm. he did a track during the recording of Do You Want More that didn't make the final album where oh. Black Thought was literally imitating like seven or eight different MCs from Guru what? To old dirty bastard. I gotta find this track. What oh. the f it's called it's called in it's called in your dreams, kid. That's what called, it's called in your dreams. I'm every MC. He recorded during the, uh during when they was making that album. Do you want more? Mm. It's it's like six minutes long. Black Thought is literally rhyming like about dip, seven different MCs. I'm telling you, you have to listen to it. So, <laughs> like listening to that, I understand Boom off the tipping point a lot more now. Like I'm like, yes, oh, yes. Black Thought is just that ill. He can he can make his voice. <laughs> And his rap patterns, I mean, he rapped just like G-Rap and Kane. I was going crazy. I was going crazy. Unreal. This is what I'm talking about. Top level, elite. Questlove is an elite drum. This band are elite. They took time to get there, but they are now one of the best bands in the world, I would say. Yeah. And it's like yeah. Scott Storch, man. Big up Scott Storch is in there as well. I early, think, yeah, earlier just, Scott Storch years, before he, before he started <laughs> running with Dr. Dre and stuff and, 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 and Fat yeah. Joe and all. Yeah. 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 Just jamming out. So let's get into this real quick. Yes, Biggie was influenced by Thought. Yes, Thought impersonated rap legends on wax. And yes, Justin Hunt broke down the enormity of his success as an MC on his Company Man channel. Here he is touching on the magnificence of the Roots' lead rapper, a top five contender for sure. What we're talking about here is supreme lyrical ability. For 25 plus years, Black Thought has pushed the art of rap to the brink of breach. Ninth Wonder refers to him as the first common man rapper, paving the way for the Commons, the Elzai's, the Fontes, the Kanye's. In that sense, he's got a family tree all to himself. Jay-Z actually listed Black Thought as one of his inspirations during his Twitter storm of thank yous following his induction into the Songwriters Hall of Fame, so that's dope. Black Thought's won Grammy Awards, he's rocked on stages all over the globe, he's on TV every night, and yet there's this perception that he's still underrated as opposed to the greatest, which is something Thought actually points out on How I Got Over's Doing It Again when he says, unsung, underrated, underappreciated, the one the underachievers had underestimated. Black Thought having his own family tree of legacy, absolutely here for that take. Big up, Justin. So let's hear from Thought himself on the subject. Here he is on Combat Jack show, dropping gems. Early on, me and Questlove, we used to do these posse cuts. Okay. Where I would do 20 rappers, oh. all my favorite artists, and I would just do impressions of all of them. Right. And the beats would change in, for each little section. I would do 
Pete Rock and CL Smooth okay. into, I would do the Jungle Brothers, I would mm. do KRS One. So it was something that had become, you know, like second nature for me to right. do just impressions. You know, so um, when it came time to do uh, Boom, it's called Boom. It was like, you know, I just did my favorite G-Rap verse and my favorite Kane verse. It goes something about, I said, hold your flicks, I'm not for the photo ops, it's black. My code name's Yafa Koto Op. My Ooh. twist like a ratchet in the auto shop. Since Grandpa old DeSoto stopped and he got the caddy, I've been gladly serving. Any of y'all cats wanna act determined? Spit pesticide for rats and vermin. Seems like none of y'all chumps is learning, you're hopeless. And I'm a little better than dope is. This is the DOC show. Shout out. Mm. I'm a little better than dope is far from a brand new kid to showbiz because you know he started doing eh, a little bit better than dope is eh, a brand new kid. So that was the DOC shout out. Right. Just he knows he knows he I knows, shot right, him. Right, right. And when I see him, that we bond on that. It wasn't okay. for nobody else. Right. Mm. I said um coming out the room with a cloud of smoke is then I shouted out Chuck D. Mm. Rolling with the punches I survive and rock because it keeps the crowd alive. Chuck D said, you know what I mean? I roll with the punches so I survive. Right. Try to rock because it keeps the crowd alive. And I'm keeping you from sleeping. And um, you know what I mean? So that was a Chuck D shout out. And we, you know, we chopped it up. We bond okay. about that. But how did Thought get its actual name? The Roots went through a fair few themselves, including Radioactivity, Back to the Future and The Square Roots. But let's jump back in time to our own interview with Black Thought and the origins of his name and style. Black Thought came from me being a visual artist. And people understand Black as sort of the absence of color, you know, or the absence of light. But as a, as a visual artist, you know, we understand just the way to achieve, you know, the darkest black on a palette. You almost have to use all of the color. Like the black palette is comprised of uh, of everything. Yeah. And that sort of was, you know, that represented my uh, my style. You know, I feel like it still does. But, you know, definitely when I was a, a young person and just to be able to have a name that was a double entendre, you know, my name could have just as well been, you know, black progress, black love. You know, who knows? It's um, it's about, you know, the concept of, of black thought and, you know, being able to inspire thought and creativity and, you know, to be thought provoking. But before before I settled with Black Thought, man, I was um, I was a T Metaphor when Quest and I were together. We were Radioactivity, T Metaphor, and the Divine Technician. Oh, I'm here for that still. <laughs> we were Black to the Future. I think my name was Hawk Smooth. And I was named Hawk Smooth because I was a huge Big Daddy Kane, Cool G Rap fan. And they had a boy named uh, Hawk and a, another boy named Smooth. And at the end of the record, set it off, you hear Big Daddy Kane shouting those guys out. You know what I mean? He goes, Hawk, Smooth, Miami. And he's just like naming names of his friends. And I was like, yo, pull that back. Yeah, that's my name. I'm I'm both those guys. You know what I'm saying? That but, is sick. That is sick. Yeah, yeah. I would love to, for you to tell me about After Midnight Philly. Paint that picture for me for that club. Like, what was that? The After Midnight in Philly was an iconic, uh, you know, hip hop club. It was an after hours club. But then you'd have uh, a young LL Cool J who came to perform at the After Midnight. And this one performance he did when he was, he may have been 16 years old. It changed my life. You know what I mean? Like hearing that performance, hearing his lyrics, the way he put it together, you know, just it was the era of the devastating devastator, innovating innovator, <laughs> manipulator. Yeah. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. Uh, yeah, all yeah. around the ended eighters. But <laughs> LL did it with a, a, a finesse and a style and grace. And um, but at the same time, um, just with the with such a 
fierceness in his vocal that it was it was unmatched and he was a he was a kid but he was you know he was really making his presence known that performance you know changed my life so that that's the after midnight you know and these are you can look look that one up look up uh you know ll cool j at the after midnight in philly and you'll hear you know the verse that very well is the reason uh i became a rapper I'm the greater insulator, microphone dominator. My name is L. L. Manipulator, innovator, connoisseur. Sure, it's a for providing MCs to emulate and copy. Who say that's me? Surrender and remember, you're the taker. I'm the lender. Exile with a smile. Then I will send MCs to the hell. For all the suckers, they ain't get paid. They at least for the rhymes you straight up. The moves I do, I know they impress you. So you simulate the style like a movie crew. It's a Mona Lisa's name, was Teresa. I get a pizza from Mona Lisa. Many have been on rap. Excursions, but I consider this my version, not illusions. Evidently, it's true. The beat metabolism. Why are we hearing the LL story gives me goosebumps still. Greatness breeding more greatness. And talking of greatness, let's check in with our man from one of rap's dopest podcast crews, Dad Bod Rap Pod's Nate LeBlanc. Here he is breaking down exactly why the roots are so amazing. The Roots are the greatest live band in hip-hop history, word to Stetsasonic, who set the template for what that would look like, but The Roots have taken things to a completely different level. And I think a thing that people don't think about so much about The Roots is with their initial run is that obviously the production and the kind of drumming of Questlove has been the bedrock of it. And now we all know Tariq Black Thought is one of the greatest MCs who ever lived, but it was really the interplay between Black Thought and Malik B that defined the early records. And the whole saga of Malik leaving the group and the kind of recounting of that on phrenology is an important part of hip hop history. It's actually kind of even hard to listen to the track Water where they describe all that, but um, the Roots were a band and every band member had an important part to play different band members have sifted through the lineup over time and i kind of feel bad for the people who only know them from the tonight show where they're great and uh, that visibility and representation and you know paycheck for them is really really important for them to get their due on a nightly basis and hobnob with celebrities but it's kind of hard to describe what it was like when the roots first came on the scene that was during the time where everybody talked about jazzy hip-hop and in particular do you want more is their kind of jazzy hip-hop record Um, They went a little harder with the next one, Illidolf Half-Life. But I think seeing them live is really the best way to experience it. I had a really dope um, memory of seeing them at the Maritime Hall in San Francisco. It's a small venue and they started the show before they hit the stage. They wandered back through the unseen backstage parts of it playing hand percussion. It was like you knew something crazy was about to pop off. It was the tour for Things Fall Apart and the dynamic stage performance that they had at that time, I think is kind of the peak of where my roots fandom and interest was. So yeah, um, the roots are incredible. Um, There will never be another group like them. And to see the different pursuits and avenues of careers that Black Thought and Questlove have taken, like Questlove might win an Oscar this year for directing Summer of Soul, which is incredible. Black Thought has a musical production that he's um, debuting off Broadway right now. Those guys are geniuses and uh, need to be celebrated. Love that. Nate showing how the band's live performance is massively important and key to their fandom. But now let's get back with BZ as we jump into how the roots work as a collective and wrap up this first album before moving into 1996's Illidelf Half-Life. 
You know what you're saying there about Black Thought? What I love about the Roots, they never put him or Questlove on a pedestal above everyone else. For me, what I, one of the best things about the Roots is the range they have, the amount of different people that come into their crew, they all get a moment to shine. They all have this like uh, collaboration where they lift one another up. And mm -hmm. with that kind of community, it just feels more hip hop. It feels more like no one is bigger than the movement kind of situation. Right. Um, right. And I'm sure as we'll go on, Questlove has talked about times where they almost split up and stuff. But I do think that we shouldn't sleep on that. Like, you know, it's hard to do that over. And you say they've got one of the best discographies. Man, they've been going for 30 years or something. It's crazy. Yeah, man. I was in junior high school when The Roots first came out. So yeah, it's just like, it just, it just puts you in the mind like, yo, man, these guys been holding it. They've been putting it down for years. I, every time when I go on Did Hip Hop, Did Hip Hop and talk about it, I'm like, look, y'all don't understand. These guys has been this consistent since 93. Like, <laughs> yeah. insane. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. More insane. consistent than the Woo. More consistent than a lot of super a groups. Lot of, yeah. A lot, of, a lot of other groups out there, man. It's crazy. Absolutely. So when you go to 96, year later, Illadelf Half-Life. <laughs> I know. For you, BZ, what, one, how did you experience that album as a kid? And two, how do you think they changed between the two? So the first thing I noticed right away was the production style with this album opposed mm. to, to their first two albums. This album used a lot more programmed drumming. A lot of the songs, you know, it sounded like they were literally just in the studio working on it instead of like just being in a live band or whatever. So mm. that was one thing I noticed, probably with the exception of what they do. What they do sounded like that was alive. Yes. That was alive. You know, they still they still have some live elements of the roots that we knew, you know, with the first two albums. But like I said, it was definitely a lot more uh, programmed drumming, like Clones. Clones is definitely a one where wow. I'm like, yeah. holy shit. Even with the first joint, respond, react. Like, you know, bro. It's, you know, we, we, uh, what's that? We said in from South Side, pushing up up north from Philadelphia reps. Like, and then Black Thought come on, like, yeah, the attractive assassin, blasting the devil, trespassing, master getting cash in the Audi fashion. I'm like, oh, oh my God. Oh. Like, attractive assassin, blasting the devil, trespassing, master getting cash in the orderly fashion. Message to the fake nigga flashing. Slow up, I, before you get dropped and close like a caption. Fractional kids don't know the time for action styles got the rhythm that i've been anglo-saxon round of applause and avalanche are clapping that's what happened now what's your reaction we heavyweight traction proponographing specialized in science and mapping original black men busting thoughts that pierce your mental the fierce ripping your saxon vocal toe to toe impeccable splitting your back son simple as addition and subtraction black thought the infinite relax one yeah black thought yeah that, that yeah illadel half life was nuts but i feel like when this album came out i was like Okay, yeah, Black Thought is like right there in my top five at that time. Like he wow. was itching, right? Yeah, he was itching. He was like, right? He was probably like number seven or six. Like ah. when I came out, mm. I was like, yo, man, like this, this, this Black Thought dude is freaking amazing. But yeah. I definitely noticed that this album had a lot of, um, a lot of variety. I feel like this was their first album where they kind of, you know, like I said, gave you a different type of production. Mm. You know, you had tracks where you hear, um, what's my man name? Ro Rozelle mm -hmm. doing beat pop going against, you know, going against folks and stuff with yeah. you know, going against Dave. Then you had a Q-Tip, you had Raphael Sadiq. Yes. Common. You had D'Angelo, you know what I'm saying? You even had a, a poet, um, Usler Rucker. I think that's mm. it. I think that's it. You had the jazzy instrumental in One Shine. 
Like that one this, joint. This joint had some crazy joints. No great pretender. That was Malik's B. Yes. That was his name. He had his joint by himself. Yeah, this at Bahamadia came out and, and, and killed through a push up your lighter. Like, yeah. This album, you really started to hear like their music and commercials a little bit more. You started, mm. you know, they kind of was starting to kind of be. Now we're we're getting these guys. We 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 see what they're about. Like people are really starting to like pay attention to the roots. Perfect album for me. To me, perfect album. When you talk about a perfect album, I feel like <laughs> I'm telling you, that album came out in 96. Mm. I at least, and I'm telling you, at least play this album at least twice a month. Oof. At some point, I'm going to play this album. Not a month go past that I don't play this album. Like, this album is special for me. That is real love. It's just yeah. um, from the cover, like the album cover. I remember a lot of things in 96 were brown in hip hop. Like, yeah. there's brown yeah. or fatigues or black. Yep. And it was like... Yep perfect 96 look that's a perfect 96 look what i found interesting was how what they were going through as a group because i think that's when Questlove was saying um i don't know if who it might have been the press it might have been critics but he was made to feel like he was a bit of the bad guy he was saying because he said like um critics would say like his drumming was like too it fluctuated too much and shit and he was like right if that's what these guys are really saying he said i went in he did an extra ten thousand hours just on his drumming and he was just working on it and just learning everything about engineering i think it's quite interesting when you're still pushing yourself and you could have just chilled or whatever but he did say he almost split them up as well i think they almost split up as well so it's like wow like the group was going through a lot of shit it's like when you hear about Farside making um, lab cab and none of them were getting on and you're like damn you forget you know, it's hard to make pieces of art when you're like that. And uh, I just think it was a bit of a watershed moment for them. I think people did really start thinking, actually, these guys are for real. Do you know what I mean? A little bit more. Damn. They were definitely stamping themselves as one of the best groups in hip hop at that time. You know, you mentioned the Gang Stars, the Outkast, yeah. Mob Deep, like Wu-Tang, Quest, Daylight. Like, you got to throw... At, when that album came out, you got to put Roots in that conversation now. That's what Illidale Half-Life did for me. Like, we probably didn't have Roots in, the, in them group conversations before. Mm-hmm. But when Illidale Half-Life came out, you had to put them in that conversation. And BZ is totally right. The Roots catapulted themselves into elite status with Illidale Half-Life. But let's touch on the group's mission to level up with this album. As Questlove says in his book, Mo Meta Blues, we wanted to push back against the idea that records were simply products or isolated snapshots that weren't connected spiritually or even physically to the albums that came before and that would come afterward. With Illadelf, Quest says they didn't want to be as soft as they were on the earlier record, but we didn't want to surrender our thinking man's perch either. We split the difference by making the music harder and by making songs that sound like they were based on samples though in fact we were sampling ourselves and you can see their more woo-like sensibilities on this record but let's just note how the album kicks off with an instantly stellar four track run that is unreal it goes respond react with those sweet recurring keys and thought bringing straight fire and then section where thought displays a striking display of not just skill but swagger the man had found a new gear and he sounded good doing so and then we have panic yes this was conscious hip-hop to a t but it was undeniable in its experimentation on the production side and then they go to it just don't stop that use of the high pitched tone in this song is still an all-time five mic moment for me and we've not even talked 
about the cheeky subversiveness on what they do, a hip-hop cultural touchstone, all Mars co-op scene-stealing verse on clones, all the features of Q-Tip on Ital and D'Angelo on The Hypnotic that made this a very native Tongs remembrance. That's how good this record is. With engineer and producer Kenyate Kello Saunders at the helm and Bob Power mixing things down, the roots were on their way to making another classic. But before we get back with BZ, let's hear from hip-hop historian, writer, podcaster and author Dar Adams on why he thinks this album run is so standout. The Roots run of Do You Want More at Liddell Pat Life and Things Fall Apart is definitely one of the best of the 90s. When you consider the fact that the Roots had just come out of the era of the alternative rap group, where they were kind of branded as one when they first came out and their copy said that they uh, played everything live and they didn't sample, which was a misrepresentation because they actually did play live and then sample themselves and then use it in their production. But The Roots weathered that. Do You Want More became, you know, a, a huge classic amongst the heads. Illidelph Half-Life only raised their profile more when they came out with clones and Things Fall Apart was the final nail in the coffin that made them the group that we know them as today. Without them bridging the gap between the era where we had the hip-hop bands, where we once known knew that as Stetsasonic, and then they bridged that and they were able to fuse musicianship with hip-hop chops, you know, alongside the uh, legendary, rest in peace, Malik B, legendary hub, rest in peace. And also, you know, you had one of the all-time greats, the man with the great breath control, Black Thought, who also rhymed and sung. And then, of course, you have the band leader, Questlove, and they have all the components necessary to make classic material on and on and on and on and on. So we can't talk about great 90s hip-hop albums runs without, you know, including The Roots. Exactly, Dar. Exactly. Now, let's get back with BZ and the classic root song, What They Do. What did you think about What They Do when that dropped? For one, I'm a huge Raphael Sadiq fan. I love Tony, Tony, Tony. I've seen Raphael Sadiq live. He puts on an amazing show. He, that's another underrated R&B artist that we need to talk about, but that's for another day. Absolutely. But, um, Absolutely, yeah, though. <laughs> yeah, when I, heard, when I heard What They Do, I was just like, okay, because you know, like I said, Clones came out. That was like their leading single. So mm. when Clones came out, it was like, ooh, in your face. You hear the, the 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 drum the drum rolls and stuff and just mm-hmm. you know black thought dice raw malay beat just just in your face you know what yes. I'm saying but yeah. when what they came out it was like oh okay so this is what they're doing like they really they really showing that like look we can still be jazzy and still and keep that element in there they can go wherever you want them to go. Generation, fast-paced nation, world population confront their frustration. The principles of true hip-hop have been forsaken. It's all contractual and about money-making. Pretend to be cats, don't seem to know their limitation. Exact replication and false representation. You want to be a man, then stand your own. To MC require skills, I demand some show. Mm. And what they do was definitely, especially that breakdown at the end, just the breakdown. Oof. Musical breakdown at the end of what they do. Yes, yes. Cherry, cherry on top of the cake, man. Cherry <laughs> on top of the cake. It's so true. But when I listen back to it now, I can hear they probably love RZA. Like it feels a bit more like they like the Woo, and it also mm-hmm. feels a bit more like they love Havoc. They have that, but then their principles are so strong they don't yeah. sit by the sidelines and don't say anything. They want to be an active voice in what's happening in hip hop and that video bro I'd never seen anything because I didn't even question bling bling or everything they 
undercut in one video. And how good is that, right? So many classic artists we love, right? Sometimes they only work on wax. Sometimes they only really work just listening to them. What I love about Roots is, man, they go into the videos, really go for it in the videos. And that's a classic video. Of course, it started beef, right? With Biggie and thinking, are you you're talking about us? And yeah, yeah. I think UGK as well. I think I think it was UGK or someone like that. I might Pimp C. Even he had beef with that. And it's like, they didn't just sit there. They were like, what the fuck is happening to our music? To me, I feel like too, and I mean, you know, I hate to sound like an old geezer, but yeah, I feel like in, definitely in the nineties, I feel like artists took more time giving you a great visual artwork for the videos. Like mm -hmm. the videos, you know, you hear a song and you be like, oh man, it's dope, it's dope. But when they make a video, I feel like back then artists kind of used to take their time and making the video mm. that kind of matches the song, if that makes sense. You know, sometimes, you know, you see cats make videos now and it's like, okay, you're talking about this, but then this video is like completely opposite or completely 180 from what you're talking about. Mm. It don't match the vibe of the song. So yeah, yeah. I feel like in the 90s, sometimes I feel like for the most part, a lot of videos kind of gave you the match for the vibe of the song. You know what I'm mm. saying? So and we have a category which is like five mic moments, which is a moment of perfection. And this album got four and a half in the source where you're like, you, you, you should have been five. <laughs> got five. This album should have got five. This album should have got a classic. It should have been stamped. Yeah. I'm telling you, yeah. this album was flawless from just the rhyming that Malik B and Dice Raw and Black Thought was doing mm. to the features like Common, Bahamadia, mm -hmm. q you talk about all types of elements wrapped up in one of this album. I feel like you had DJing versus scratching. Like yes. you had all types of elements on this album. To me, it is a no-brainer. This should have been a five mic classic. Like <laughs> it's true. Everything about this. Everything about this. And, and let's just go. You said one shine earlier. That's how good this album is. There's these hidden gems. And I think the roots have got so many because their albums are so big like they've got big albums and they, have, they tackle big themes as they go on and on it's very easy that tracks get lost so i'm glad you said one shine because the horns on there are beautiful absolutely stunning Just reiterate what you said. I think it's like the first four tracks on this album. Unreal. Like, oh Unreal. my God, that's how you're going <laughs> to... They're talking about stuff like, oh man, it just don't stop. That bit where um, they have like a high-pitched tone comes in on that. And I'm like, oh... these moments it's just beautiful man and they're talking about shit that it's real talk like it's not it's conscious hip-hop but it doesn't feel heavy if you know what i mean it doesn't yeah, feel like not lecturing yeah. you you know yeah yeah no no they're not they're not they just speaking about real life situations in the urban in the urban cities that you know similar to philadelphia like myself i grew up in detroit mm. you know chicago you know, uh, uh, Atlanta, like all these urban cities, I feel like Black Thought, especially on tracks like Episode, like where he say, uh, just push the panic button on your remote control to enter the zone where Patron this wicked realm cold soul. Diddy Bowl, leave your, leave your feeling like a saga foretold who got caught upon the block for gold. Like, oh, yeah, like Black Thought, like it's, it's, it's like, come on, man. Like this, this guy is. Just push the panic button on your remote control to enter the zone. 
where I patrol is wicked Ralph Cole's soul. Dilly boldly fulfilling a saga foretold. Who got caught on a block for gold? Got the old heads froze. They keeping out of clothes window. They not secure as they suppose. I watched it all unfold. With this another episode. With Titanic panoramic view as this man depressing on gold with this gun hole. Speaking on some stuff, man. You know, people, old folks, people not closed windows. Like, yeah, you know, yeah. It's, it's only just struck me. Maybe it's the way you were spitting that BZ, but it's only just struck me. That sounds like Car has heard that, and I know you love Car. Oh man, I never thought about the Black Thought Car thing, but the way you just said that, it's like, oh yeah, actually, I can imagine Car definitely learning from Black Thought. Same principles, same things about community, same things about like oh upholding your people like making mm -hmm. sure like you know you put them above things and then the way he spits everything yeah man absolutely so yeah. man a car and thought track is just i don't even know how thought would work with anyone because he can change for any right, situation right. So. I, I also too i also reference kai i think i can i hear a lot of jizz early jizz stuff too like yes I hear I hear a lot of inspiration from Kyle from Liquid Swords. So yes. Another, yeah, another MC you can throw out there. Yeah, Jizza. Yeah. I, can, I definitely hear some Kai influences, you know, from there. I smell a car three album run episode. I can just smell it right now. I'm sorry, oh, but man, I, oh, man. <laughs> my Jesus Christ, that dude there. <laughs> another conversation for another day, right there, man. <laughs> but this is what I'm saying. Isn't it beautiful that you can talk about these albums now and then reminded me of things that are current, like albums dropping today. <laughs> man a car three album run episode if you want it we're here to do that but before we dip into this roots album run again let's not forget just how far the roots's legend has grown through time especially when you hear stories from questlove about performing at weird parties thrown by prince here he is back on hot 97 the, the weirdest jam session i had was this is after the N naacp awards it's me morris day sheila e stevie wonder Alicia Keys, Jamie Foxx, and members of his band giving like a concert to like Joni Mitchell and Selma Hayek in his living room. For him, a party's like just 14 people. He'll rent out a spot, but just for 14 people. But it's just like, I'm like sitting there drumming like, yo, I'm actually watching like Joni Mitchell and Selma Hayek dance in circles. The weird hippie, hippie <laughs> dance like in front of his fireplace. <laughs> At five in the morning. That is just wild. Performing for Joni Mitchell and Salma Hayek in Prince's Lounge at 5am. That is just madness. But I thought it'd be quite good to go back to Black Thought once more as he breaks down why these three albums are so important to him and the band themselves. I have a young lad. What do you reckon should be the record I give him to get into Roots and, and, and yourself? I think you should give him uh, Things Fall Apart. That's our seminal performance that's us you know coming into our sort of comfort zone and you know really beginning to understand uh, the space in which we occupy and uh, embracing it you know so yeah i think things fall apart is that's not as good as it gets but that's uh, an excellent sort of point of, of departure where do you hold that in regard to the other work you've done um you know it's hard to say mm. it's hard to say i mean do you want more was our, you know, arrival to the to the ball, our introduction to the game. So that holds, you know, a very special place in my heart. But um, yeah, thanks for, oh, yo, Illadelph, man, Illadelph, Illadelph Half-Life. I think the idea has always been to create music that's timeless. And, you know, the fact that these songs continue to inspire folks is um, is sort of, you know, what we, what we do it for. But yeah, if you're going to put your kid onto the roots, start with Things Fall Apart, then go Illadelph, and then, you know, sort of hop around. <laughs> I love know? that. 
And with that dope insight, let's jump into the final album in this run, 1999's Things Fall Apart. As Questlove writes in his memoir, his own craft was heavily influenced after a seismic moment with a room consisting of DJ Premier, Jay Diller, D'Angelo and himself. As the story goes, he says, there was one moment during the recording of Voodoo that really brought this home. We were recording DJ Premier's scratches for Devil's Pie and Cutif had just left the room to go work on something else and there were four of us left there, Primo, Diller, D'Angelo and himself. During a break, Primo asked if they had any new shit to play for for the group and D'Angelo went for a cassette and played a new song and the whole room erupted in hooting. Dilla did the same with some Slum Village shit and there was an explosion of excitement and then Premier, who had started the whole thing, played an MOP song over some new gangstar material that was going to be on the owners. I was last to bat. All I had on me was a work take for what would eventually become double trouble on Things Fall Apart. It didn't have any vocals on it, it didn't have most S first, it was just a skeleton. I played it and I will never forget the feeling that came over the room, including me. It wasn't like they didn't hoot or holler like they did for the other songs. They did, but they didn't mean it. I know the move people resort to when they're quite not into a song. They keep a straight stare on their face and bob their head a bit, not saying anything, not making eye contact. That's the sign of death. That's what they did for me, and I felt humiliated. I was like Glenn Close in Fatal Attraction. I will not be ignored, which is an incredible analogy. Fair play to Quest on that. I went back into the studio that same night and gave that song a radical extended facelift. I refused to sleep until I had that thing up and running. I knew from then on that anything I did had to meet the standard of the room. It wasn't enough to appeal to some unseen critics. I needed the artists around me to react more than a straight ahead, quiet as the grave head bob. And that is pretty incredible. Talk about kicking into gear. A room full of super producers will do that to you. And then if you take that into our understanding of the might of things fall apart, it all makes sense. Taking its album title from Chimmo Chase based 1958 book of the same name, which itself was derived from a W.B. Yeats's poem, The Second Coming, it's an even more remarkable piece of work when you think that Questlove was working on D'Angelo's voodoo, commons like Water for Chocolate, and Erica Badu projects at the same time. As Spin Magazine puts it so pointedly, the landmark album swelled the roots' as click into a movement-style posse, and after recording around 145 songs, the crew delivered an all-timer. So, let's get back to BZ and his thoughts on why this record means so much to him. 99, so it's a few years later. I think they did a lot of touring and stuff like that. Things fall apart, man. How does it stand then when you first heard it? And how do you feel about it now? Yeah, back then when Things Fall Apart came out, at that time, you know, of course, you had singles, then you had the album artwork. So you're looking at the album artwork. I'm like, okay, mm. are these guys really trying to make a statement here with this music? You know, because, you know, it's like after healing Ill Death Half-Life, I'm like, what can they do? Like, what is, what is about to be next for these cats, man? Like after, yeah. you know, after this, but you know, Things fall apart. This was the album they won their first Grammy. They won a Grammy off of You Got Me. You know what I'm saying? Like off the single. You know what I'm saying? So that, that at that time, I thought that was freaking huge for the roots because seeing them come from organic to making this album, this album was definitely like a, for me personally, was just like, okay, y'all made Ill Dove. Let me see what y'all got with this go around. You know what I'm saying? Can y'all still keep this thing going? Can y'all keep this thing moving? And can y'all still mm. like have me amazed? by the wordplay and the lyricism going off and, and going on in this album. And, mm. you know, they didn't let me down. They didn't <laughs> let me, they didn't let me down. They with Table of Contents, Table of Contents even oh started my. freaking strong. I mean, I was like, oh, like when it, when, you know, when it came on, I'm just like, okay, you're not tuning in the R to the, the below to the. Yes. Check it out. 
You're now in tune to the sounds of the R to the double O to the T-S and I stretch limits of this profession. My voice physically fit tracks, I bench pressing. The mic cord is an extension of my intestine. Delicate of seed slacks, then my delicatessen. My mind state is out of the SP. Connection pin, see your party. South Philly through my artery. Talk the dark one, fear some, slump son. My vocal just a knuckle that sucker punch the drum. Hip hop. Okay, I'm like, all right, all right, Black Dog. Oh, <laughs> when the beat switched up, you know, the beat switched up, yes. the Malik beat killed it. I'm like, oh, yes. I was like, okay, I'm sorry if I'm doubting y'all. I'm sorry. <laughs> and then, you know, it went to the next movement, which you know about that video and that joint, you know, featuring Jazzy Jeff. Like, Ooh, next movement. You know, videos crazy. again. Videos again. They think about it. again. Yeah. Videos. Yeah. You know, step into the realm. Mm. They still keeping it. They still keeping it like hard and street core a little bit. You know what I'm saying? Like, yes. Step into the realm, you bound to get caught From this worldly life, you'll soon depart Step into the realm, you bound to get caught From this worldly life, you'll soon depart Step into the realm, you bound to get caught From this worldly life, you'll soon depart Step into the realm, you bound to get caught And from this worldly life, you'll soon depart oh, And a good thing about this album that I peeped when I looked at the credits when I first got it I saw it produced by J.D. Yeah. That was before he was called Jay Dilla, but when he was called J.D., mm. J-A-Y-D-E-E, mm. um, not to be confused with Jermaine Dupri. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, but J.D. produced Dynamite. Like, I was like, yes. holy crap. Touch this elephant dynamite. Come on, touch this elephant dynamite. Come on, touch this elephant dynamite. Check it out. And true, true. Do, do, sent the soul missing link. What could have seen who listen think? It's black thought. Open your eyes and don't blink. Yo, to rock this mic is like a basic instinct. But, uh, and true, true. Do, do, sent. Behind me, the mic champion. More than a stepping on. Motherfucker sweating me, begging me just to get me. They tapped in the Jay Dilla. Like, oh my God. Like, I'm, as a Detroiter, I was, I was so happy to see JD produce. Yeah. For the roots, because you know he produced for Tri Called Quest, produced for uh, De La Soul, mm. produced for Janet Jackson. Like you know he's produced for the Far Side. So like to see him produce for the roots, I was like, oh my god, I, I was I was happy as hell. I was so happy. Another thing that stood out to me too was this was right after he signed with Rockefeller. I saw Benny Siegel. We had a yes. Benny Siegel. I'm like. This is dope. This is cool with Adrenaline. Adrenaline is produced mm-hmm. by Scott Storch. Yes. Uh, yeah. Brandon was was definitely definitely dope. It was it was good to hear Benny Siegel, you know, Dice Raw and Black mm. Thought on the track together, man. Like it, that was that was really good. Like I said, Benny Siegel was almost a part of the Roots. They was gonna yes. try to add him as another as another lead MC, you know, on Pretty the Roots. And, and at that time, he signed with Rockefeller, and you know, the rest was history. But yeah. That would have really been interesting if you had someone is, and we know the type of work that Benny Siegel made mm-hmm. end up making with Rockefeller. Yeah, like you talk about street, it would have really been interesting hearing Benny Siegel rap the way he rapped over the production. You know that we end up hearing from the roots from this yeah. album forward. Yeah, man. And Eve, you had another Philly, another Philly-born artist. They're Eve putting people on. There. Yeah, when you got me. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Where Eric Badu, also written by Jill Scott. That hook was written by Jill Scott, who was from Philly. Yeah, um, so I think that was that was that was dope. That they they definitely brought some Philly Philly homegrown into this album. Like I said, mm. with DJ Jazzy Jeff with uh Benny Siegel and Eve. Yes, and then you had Joe Scott writing the hook. So yeah, no, no, things fall apart, man. Like yeah, they definitely <laughs> kept they kept the momentum going from yeah. Philadelphia. 
to to things fall apart. I, I still I, just like Illidan Half Life. I feel like production they they gave me you know some pro- program drums mm-hmm. as well as live instrumentation. Mm-hmm. They had a lot of different flavors going on with this album as well as um, Illidan Half Life. A lot of people, a lot of people. This is a lot of people's favorite album. A lot of people say this is their favorite album. As time's gone on, it has become mine. Yeah, it has. Yeah, a lot of people say that Things Fall Apart is their favorite album from the roots. And I, for me, Illidan Half Life is still that one. <laughs> yeah, I don't get mad when or I'd be like, oh, you tripping if someone say yeah things fall apart as their favorite roots album i mean because it's definitely a phenomenal album and mm. they they didn't they didn't let me down like i said coming off the high you know it's really difficult sometimes when artists make an album that's just you consider their best and then you know usually sometimes the next album you know you know my you might hear some slippage no slippage. nothing nothing the weird thing is you can just do the same again but they don't the roots never make the same album ever again <laughs> like when have they come back in their career to illadelf really never they don't. They've done it. They move on and then they go on and do house or like rock and like stuff like that. Yeah, what is that's what I love about this album because it's such a leap forward. So let's just break down Things Fall Apart a little before we get into our next guest contribution. The record is littered with sounds of the group coming into their own, stamping their unique identity onto their music and shedding previous influences of their peers. With genius flourishes decorating the record, they delivered one of the best love songs of the genre with You've Got Me and crammed in stellar moments such as Most Def's harmonious scatting on Double Trouble, the sublime intro build-up and culmination that is Act 2, Love of My Life, and the utterly transcendental Ain't Saying Nothing new which shows the group at its most dynamic smooth angry and emotional and all this with one of the greatest and most searching rap album covers ever one that was picked out of a library of incredible images including photos of bombed out churches and mob bosses with mutilated hands holding the ace card but before i get lost in this record here's our next contributor producer and podcaster vice beats who breaks down this album run brilliantly This is Vice Beats from the Dig in the Crates podcast. The Roots are undoubtedly the finest live hip-hop band, surpassing so many through longevity and a consistent strive for creativity and exploring music pathways. Every album is a standalone gem, and even if you don't like all their music, there's no doubt that The Roots have consistently released great music for nearly 30 years. Organics was the first album, but often is classed as a warm-up to Do You Want More. There's some really special moments on that album. Good music is a great track. With references to Square Roots and Questlove's original name of Question, it's the only self-released Roots album as well. Had that live jazz sound with Leonard Hubbard's bass lines that are really, really present. It's rawer and a more live feel than some of the latter albums. The track numbers continue from zero and training through each album as opposed to starting at one each time. I love that about The Roots. They do everything different and they've really, really trailblazed in terms of creating something that's special. Do You Want More saw the addition of Rizel and Scott Storch, which brought with it more creative potential and musical avenues to explore. The album was born out of a series of jam sessions. The Roots jam sessions were legendary, as were Quest Love's jams at his house, where the who's who of Philly's music scene would get involved. The band have always been known for finding the perfect artist to involve in their tracks, and Do You Want More displays that fine selection process. The 
album's first full track is Proceed, which offers a blueprint for the album, fusing the live, organic jazz sound with the band's hip-hop influences. The lineup for the band has been in consistent shift, with over 10 musicians switching out and 10 more replacing them. But of course, one of the most notable is the now-past Malik B, whose lyrics gave the roots an incredible lyrical edge when combined with Black Thought, and that's at its most prominent when it comes to Do You Want More. Illadelf Half-Life? This was the first Roots album I heard. At the time, I was obsessed with Lahane, Ghost Dog, Slum Village, Wu-Tang and Riz's sound, and tracks like Respond React that had that raw, straight lyrical vibe. I loved it. But the deeper I explored, the album was unlocking chambers of hip-hop that were pushing boundaries and preconceptions of the genre. By this point, the band had really got into their flow and found their signature sound. I've always loved the way that The Roots will break up their albums with live moments. And Quest vs Scratch is one of my all-time favourite skits. Every track flows seamlessly, the mellow vibes of the hypnotic with D'Angelo to the darker sounds of the clone and no alibi. Every track and moment of Illadelf Half-Life is on point and memorable. The album's sound absorbs and transports you. What they do is a legit classic. And I remember seeing the video for the first time with the subtitles and the breakdown of all the farcical characters on display within the scene. As a group, they've never been concerned with holding back viewpoints and challenging stereotypes. The fact that the master tapes for the album were destroyed in a fire makes this album even more special and memorable. Things Fall Apart saw the roots beginning to push their views further, pushing a ticket with racial inequities, social injustice, and directly commenting on America's inept way of treating citizens. The second track on Roots albums after the intro are always interesting ones. Their track order is perfection, and the table of contents part one and two sees Black Thor bringing an energy that's darker, more confident, and more self-assured. The album hears the band steering towards more moments of breakbeat and other genres, while staying rooted in hip-hop. Things fall apart, holds two of hip-hop's most respected songs. You Got Me, whether it's the Jill Scott version or Erica Badu's album version alongside Eve, is a true classic, especially Quest's incredible drum outro. The other track being Act 2, The Love of My Life. Oh, that track is beautiful. The layering, the drums slowly fading in, those keys, and then Thought's verse. It's one of my all-time favorite songs, irrespective of genre. It takes you back to a lost era. The whole album is special and was the first album to see The Roots gain a major label release and enter the Billboard Top 100 albums for the first time. Every Roots album could be talked about for hours, days, weeks, months. They are their own genre. They stand alone within hip-hop, untouchable, unquestionable. I told you, that is a stellar breakdown. Big up voice beats. But now, let's jump back to our chat with BZ and his five mic moments from Things Fall Apart. You talk there about Diet Adrenaline, right? And Beanie Siegel. For me, that's a five mic moment for me. It's a perfect moment where a group fully comes into its own. It's the most... I know Questlove was saying that um, he wasn't even thinking about this album when it came out because he was too busy working with his Aquarians on like what for chocolate, uh, voodoo, yeah. and yeah. obviously then working with JD and then... Yeah. But I think they recorded something similar, like 145 songs, 145 songs, just jamming with their friends and then distilling it to like 14 or whatever it is on this album. You're mm-hmm. like, that's incredible how you do that. But the fact for me, right, that they now had an identity because they had been influenced by other things. I'm saying there about Woo and a bit of Havoc. Mm-hmm. No one sounded like things fall apart. Nothing sounded like it. 
and this was their own thing and they influenced everyone and that jazzy energy you know it was like more solid it was more grounded and there wasn't yeah. losing anything there was no genius lost it was like they just sounded more solid it was like fuck man like these guys can just make classics now and there's so many adrenaline's a classic to me Funny like a leprechaun. I chop rappers up like chicken Szechuan. Set a squad's off like a slave auction. Hey, yo, my zodiac sign read caution. On stage, I make you see true and off on. Yo, my age and algebraic equation. Niggas want some, I hit them with a portion. Another thing about this album, too, is yeah, I definitely saw a step back from Quest Love and the product from the production standpoint because, like you said, he was working on a Mama's Gun with Eric Badu. Yes. He was working on, um, like you said, like Water for Chocolate with Common, mm. um, Voodoo with DeAnne. Angelo. Mm. Um, um, it's one more I'm forgetting uh, off the top of my head. But yeah, he was working with, you know, working with them. So, he, you know, that's why you had JD in there. That's why you had yeah. Scott Stewart. That's why you had the Grand Wizards in there, like working yes. on production a lot more. You know what I'm saying? So, yes. With this album, which I mean, it was just fine because I mean, it just shows you, you know, even if one person is kind of not like in, in it, they still going to sound good as a group. They're going to still sound great, great as a collective, even though, you know, I think we only had Quest Love on maybe two tracks for his album. So yeah, I mean, it's, it still sounds amazing though. It still sounds, like I said, he was working on some pretty big stuff <laughs> yeah. at that time. You know, those albums yeah. I named wasn't no slouch. Mm. It was dope to see the Roots win a Grammy for You Got Me. Mm. And it was dope to see them be nominated for best hip hop album, for best rap album. Like that was dope. I mean, he ended up losing to Eminem Slim Shady because this album, Things Fall Apart and Slim Shady came out the same day. Damn. I remember I remember vividly. I remember when I went to the music store and my homie was excited about the Eminem Slim Shady album. He brought the Slim Shady album. I was like, look, you I listen to that later. I'm about to buy this Roots album because yeah. you know, you I'm coming off of Ildev Half-Life. So I'm like, yo, <laughs> I don't care what M- I don't care about Eminem right now. I'm getting this Things Fall Apart album. Mm-hmm. I'll listen to Slim Shady LP when I get to it. But so, <laughs> I love you know, that. This was during a time where you still had to buy albums. Yeah. You didn't have Spotify. You didn't have Apple Music, you know it's what true, I'm saying? So, I, you know, I'm like, look, I got, I got fifteen dollars. Either I'm gonna spend it on Slim Shady or I'm gonna spend it on Things Fall Apart. Yeah, I'm going with Things Fall Apart. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I would say Things Fall Apart has aged better. I know all the M and M heads are gonna yeah. come at me now. I know they are, including my own friends. They're all gonna, but Things Fall Apart. I listen to that more than Slim Shady. Yeah. I just do. I listen to more. I listen to more. Yeah. I listen to them. Do you know that about Things Fall Apart? Age way better than Slim Shady LP. Oh, 100 percent. Because don't get me wrong. Slim Shady LP is an amazing album, but Things Fall Apart age way better than Slim Shady LP. Do you know why? Because there's some weight to this album. There's actually yeah. some weight, as in they're saying stuff that's good. It's Unfortunately, a lot of it is still very relevant, but also very. a lot of it is timeless stuff they're talking about. Slim Shady, probably not as much. And that's another thing. It's like their themes they tackle. I mean, if we are talking about Eminem and Black Thought in the same convo, it would be wrong to not replay that incredible moment where both featured together on the same cut. Let's hear them on the BET Cypher from 2009 with Primo on the decks and Hold Tight for Thought speaking on that legendary moment on the Combat Jack show and the hip hop legend that missed out on being on that track. Right there, but never mind me. I'm forever grimy. Guess it's just silly signing. Rock polar, bipolar, like Phyllis. I'm. 
Like this dope fiend opening up a bottle of dopamine. You just hoping he don't get rope for your throat to choke anything. Oh, and just think how dope he could be if he smoked anything. Oh, there goes the bell, the sound of the opening ding. I hit you as hard as far pitch you. It's in the ribs with a switch and stitch you at the same time before you can flinch to it. My is so We agreed to do that shit because Premier hit us and was like, yo, come down and be part of the cypher with Rakim. Right. I'm saying Rakim, he, he wasn't able to make it that day. So we all wound up, you know, having to hold it down. Right. And yet that gave us all a little slightly, a couple extra bars mm -hmm. to fill that space. Mm -hmm. And I mean, again, it was one of those things. It wasn't about nothing. Like right. for most of that day, it was me and most off with the cameras in a totally different corner of the room. Right. Doing my song 75 bars. Because, and I saw footage of that. Yeah, I mean, so we was doing that all day. And then they'd be like, yo, we gotta, we gotta get this cypher. And we would run over, rap real quick, and then go back to doing 75 bars. So right. it was like, it was something that was really, to us, it was a, a small thing. It was, you know what I mean? It, we ain't taking that serious. Right. And I think, you know, when you what relax and shit like dude. that, I mean, you know, that's when, you know what I mean? You're at your best as right. an MC. What a moment. Okay, now let's jump back into our interview with Black Thought, where we spoke on Things Fall Apart and how a possible guest feature from none other than Big Pun fell through, which is a mad sliding doors moment when you remember how the two GO MCs performed together on Pun's Cut Super Lyrical. How do you feel about that now looking at it? Uh, look at, what is it, 98? Yeah, 98 something. It was, a, it was a proud moment, man. It's, you know, for me, it was, um you know, it was almost like a graduation and initiation. Mm. It definitely felt great to, to you know, be recognized by my peers. The Roots has always sort of been uh, different. We've been outcasts uh, because of the live instrumentation. And, you know, I felt like that's had the MCs associated with The Roots. We've almost had to, you know, work doubly hard we've had to work twice as hard uh just to sort of maintain uh credence us being sort of you know the unconventional you know, rapping over un unconventional production and then you know the unconventional way and then having you know an unconventional look mm. it was like okay you know the roots are we are our shit sort of hit different wasn't pun supposed to be on adrenaline this is another rumor i heard i'm not sure yeah, if that's true no that's true oh man what what happened that's, there that's, man that, that's a fact on the night that pun was on his way to the studio to record Adrenaline. He uh, stopped really quickly to drop someone off at a legendary New York City nightclub, uh, The Tunnel. You know, he had a big fancy car, um, whatever was the popping SUV of, of, of the day. And he had some crazy spinning rims and, you know, the car drew a lot of attention. He was double parked. The car was drawing attention. The police came over to the car and I guess he had some outstanding, uh, you know, tickets for traffic stuff or whatever. Whatever the case, he got arrested that night uh, you know on the way to the studio yeah we were sort of uh we weren't we weren't a, a jam at that point because um we had come up to new york to just put the finishing touches on the album before turning it in mm -hmm. um so being able to sort of lock pun down was really important and we, we really wanted him on this on this record but then you know he wasn't able to do it and that became a vehicle uh for us to present beanie siegel you know to the world so that wound up being you know beans he got his, his first shot mm -hmm. because Pun didn't come to the studio that that night. That'd have been so amazing to hear a big pun on adrenaline. Oh, about JD. And the way that big and pun rhymed, oh. like in that beat, big pun would have demolished. Killed that it. Drum. He'd have killed oh, it. He Imagine a to and fro though. That's the thing for me. A to and yeah. fro with them two would have just been unbelievable. It'd have been crazy. 
Exactly. And Big Pun wasn't doing heavy, heavy stuff as well. Like, this is a bit of a heavier album. Just the artwork alone, everything about it is a little bit heavier than just your crime rap, you know? Who knows, man, if Pun was around and he'd been on here, maybe got influenced, maybe, I don't know, you just don't know, do you? But like, you know you that saying there, I was just going to go into themes, like how you're tackling stuff. The intro, bro. I remember hearing that intro and I liked Mo Better Blues, but I didn't really love Mo Better Blues. But I loved Spike Lee. So as soon as I heard it, I was like, oh yeah, shit, I, I, I know this. But I'd never heard it the way they put it in it's so easy in hip-hop especially 99 to ridicule commercial hip-hop underground is the best and underground you know an, an artful rap is the you know the way forward that fucking intro undoes all of that listen, listen up, but the jazz <laughs> you know if we had to de- if we had to depend upon black people to eat we would starve to death i mean you've been out there you look you're on the bandstand you look out into the audience what do you see you see japanese you see you see West German, you see, you know, Slavobic, anything, but except our people, man, it makes no sense. It incenses me that our own people don't realize our own heritage, our own culture. This is our music, man. That's bullshit. Why? It's all bullshit. Everything, everything you just said is bullshit. Come on. Yo, Lee, out of all the people in the world, you never gave anybody else, and look, and I love you like a stepbrother, but you never gave nobody else a chance to, to play their own music. What are you you complaining about? I'm talking about the, the people audience. Never come, you, that's right. The people don't come because you grandiose motherfuckers don't play shit that they like. If you played the shit that they like, then the people would come. Simple as that. That's the dichotomy, man. That's the weird thing with art. And they were so knowing and clever and they still did it. Like they got a hit single off here, which is a classic love song. And then they'll still do a dwelling, 100% Dundee, all this other stuff where you're like, you kind of nailed it, guys. That intro, you've kind of nailed it. And as we're talking about the Roots' use of Spike Lee's classic film from 1990, Mo Better Blues, Questlove himself broke down the thinking behind the expert that kicked off Things Fall Apart. He says the scene of Denzel Washington and Wesley Snipes arguing over artistic compromise was a problem the Roots were well versed in. Here's how he put it. The problem of how to stay true to our idea of our music and be appropriately inviting to audiences plagued us since the beginning. We had been through at least two different versions of Rootsness with Do You Want More and Illa Delph Half-Life and in both cases a certain size audience had come along for the ride but when we turned to look at the back seat we saw empty spaces along with smiling faces. And it wasn't just this sense of place that was on the crew's mind, they were also thinking on a much bigger scale. The messages found in Outkast's 1998 song Synthesizer about an American culture in crisis and their questioning of the pace of this so-called technological and spiritual progress heading into the new millennium were very much on the band's agenda when making things fall apart. Quest continues in his book, when we wrote the manifesto about Biggie and hip-hop materialism, about how the music was getting away from the people who listened to it and the world that contained those people, those were the thoughts on our mind. We wondered if things would continue to fall apart and if not, who would keep them together and how? Grand themes indeed. And with cuts like the spiritually divine Ain't Saying Nothing New and the meticulous 100% Dundee and Dynamite, as well as the avant-garde table of contents part one and part two, which were actually planned to be four parts with Dilla's name on the bill and who could forget the indestructible song that is step in the realm with a truly sublime without a doubt, the roots shot for the stars on what's become a landmark album. But now, before we get into the weeds of this album, let's jump to one of our favourite crews in rap podcasts, The Weird Rap Collective, for their intriguing thoughts on this album, Ron. The roots are 
extremely high on my list of favorite groups and a big reason for them being so high would be this specific three album run my introduction to the roots was through uh, do you want more you know specifically uh proceed was where i found them and then distortion to static was where i was like okay this is a group i can get behind you know i really dug the rawness i like the fact that they were a live band illadelph half-life i have to be completely honest that album went completely over my head i really like clones i thought clones was super duper raw I uh, like, you know, the singles, Concerto, The Desperado, what they do and all that. As a whole, that album was very dense to me. And it also wasn't the raw live band sound. Because also by that time I had discovered Organics. At the time, it felt like a stutter step, if you will. Were you smoking uh, weed yet by that time? I gotta ask. No. Yeah, I feel like that album is one of those that seems to make more sense when you're stoned or you can get more in the vibe of it. That's actually a great point. Uh, a large part of me understanding that album was revisiting it as my current form. Things Fall Apart was mind-blowing. I'd always appreciated Malik B. In my opinion, that album probably has the best all-around Malik B performances, uh, rest in peace. He goes mental on some points and do you want more? But Things Fall Apart has some really signature Malik B stuff. Uh, Black Thought is really stepping to his own at that point. Uh, I've probably seen him four or five times live by that point. I've seen The Roots easily 13 to 15 times. So yeah, by that point, well, I fully bought in. And then kind of like you mentioned, the more I expanded my consciousness through smoking, Philadelphia Half-Life made sense as a bridge between those two albums. I noticed that the albums go from playful and loose to tight and assertive really quickly with you know the start of Illadelph Half-Life and even more so and things fall apart and I thought it was interesting to look just at the intros and then the first song as like examples of that and how like in Do You Want More the intros super relaxed uh, you know there's something going on you know it's like creeping along and then I Shall Proceed is just a kind of lighthearted track just about emceeing and you know even though he says he's on a paper chase there's no sense of urgency at all you know he gets up in, in the afternoon very chill about the, the whole affair but like quickly like you guys mentioned like the tone just shifts completely in the intro of Elodelph there's like this dense layer voice sound collage talking about the harsh reality of the music business so something's completely changed about the tenor of their existence yeah and then we, then we get to the, the third album and they're talking about how rap is undervalued mm -hmm. completely set it up with that uh mo better blues sample talking about jazz yeah so you can see their growth in terms of life experience and musicianship but then also i guess like the oppression of the the system that they're trying to exist within that frustration is coming out in particular i think it's really punctuated in the opening of each album also couldn't let this particular run go without mentioning ursula rucker's part in it uh, right. that's the three album run that she closes them out with those <laughs> very uncomfortably powerful poems that she does yeah yeah i think that's a, a great move uh, from the roots to kind of open up audiences you know to those words to that kind of delivery to those messages on their albums and that was a great gesture 
what a superb breakdown and much warranted love for Ursula Rucker too. Big up the weird rap squad right there. Go check those guys out. So now let's jump back in with BZ as we talk about most deaths feature on Things Fall Apart's Double Trouble. Look, because we already have a Black Star and then, you know, most deaf Black on both sides was getting ready to come out. This joint, man, he was so perfect. That whole Soul Aquarium was just, man, I wish we could have really, really saw the potential. Mm of them like the type of music they was going to be making man with yeah. jd and most def and common d'angelo and all them but yeah most def i thought again just like ill Delph have life i feel like the features on this album you know from eve to common to benny siegel most mm. def lady b on without a doubt i thought yeah. everyone did their thing man like most def was definitely smooth and crazy on his on, on that joint he really was he is exactly that double trouble for me might be my favorite cut now and i didn't think it would be you know when he ends and this is getting a bit granular a bit geeky but he scats you know when it's like finishing and he just scats he's, just, he's not even rapping he's just like just saying whatever at the end of it and to just see that track out Rise, we say the perfect blend because we know how to rock when the beat come in like zen, 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 zen. And I was like, oh my God, just that moment. To me, it just sticks with me. It sticks to my ribs, man. I was thinking back to that track, and I know Talib was supposed to be on there, so that would have been quite nice if it was a bit Black Star like, on there. would have been quite good. But I dug into something, and I didn't know this, but like um, Questlove, again, he said, Diller is such a genius, right, that I knew I could never be him, but I tried once to copy him. And Diller had heard a song in a studio, gone away, arranged it, produced it, and remade it exactly like it off of memory. Questlove tried to do it. <laughs> he said, that shit ain't happening, dog. Like, I cannot yeah. do that. And, yeah. and that is genius to be able to hear something and go, yeah, leave it with me. Go and just recreate it through memory. Yeah, Dilla was an alien. He was literally an alien. <laughs> like, he wasn't from this planet. He was not from this planet. He all. wasn't. He wasn't. And there's another, just one moment I have to say about this album, which is another hidden gem for me, where I think if you really want to talk about how the Roots got into like their production chops, like, you know, when now these guys are doing Hill of Delph, but now look what we can do. It's act two, man. Love of my life with Common. That that track is so sublime to me. The way it starts is so beautiful where I'm like, damn, these kind of deep cuts should be celebrated by everyone because they must have took so long to make this. It's just peak production for me. And I, and I, and I just had to shout that one out, man, because I think it was supposed to be an interlude. That was supposed to be an interlude, and they just went, yeah. No, we're just going to make it one of the best songs I think they've ever made. It's crazy, isn't it? The hidden thing for me, I think, on this album that people don't talk about enough is uh, 100% Dundee. Oh my god, 100% Dundee, man. Like, Go in, bro. Yo, on these 
73 keys of ivory and ebony. I swear solemnly that I forever rock steadily. People want to know what Malik, he right next to me, the weaponry. The secret recipe, hard to peep this deep shit shows I eat with. Contaminated thoughts I walk the street with. I bayonet cassettes and chop beats with. This Olympic lyricism you can't compete with. Globe traveling. Yeah, Black Thought and Malik B, like, what do you say, uh, Yo, on these 73 keys of every and irony, I swear suddenly that I will forever rock steadily. People want to know where Malik is. He right next to me, the weaponry, the secret oh. recipe. Hard to peep this deep shit shows I eat with. Like, yeah, like Black Thought yeah. was going crazy on that beat. Absolutely. You know, Malik B came in Militan, punk cock, ready to rock, power out in the clout. It seems all through the block. Posse don't play the cup, but what we 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 got the shot like man, oh, we got man. Yeah, like, like beat man, like I'm the and the, like that beat had that uh beatbox feel too, like boom. Yes. Like like I and I I, I was looking and trying to see was anyone doing a beatbox because when you mm. listen to that track, it's like damn, is someone really doing a beatbox on that? And they just Black Thought and Malik B just flawless. <laughs> flawless. I feel like that song is not that's a deep cut that's not talked about enough on um things fall apart is 100 Dundee. 100% man I'm absolutely with you as well and I think like there's a you saying there about going hardcore as well step into the realm when that starts that's mob that is mob deep that is yeah. mob deep And then they just how the beat just fades in, like yeah. the beat just fades in on some like street corner back alley type shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. you are one hundred percent right. Boom, there you go. A full on loving over the deep cuts on things fall apart. But now we got to check in with my man, the rap podcast supremo Zilla Rocker out there from Call Out Culture on why he thinks this run is a standout in musical history. I'm here to talk about The Roots 3 album run from Do You Want More to Illadelph Half-Life to Things Fall Apart. Why are these albums great? Do You Want More? Let's talk about it. Because I remember like Biggie being in love with um, Silent Treatment. Like You had elements of that record where rhyming is crazy from My Mellow My Man to The Lesson to um, No Great Pretender to A Say One Man, which was like some jazzy scat shit. There's just so many pieces of that record where you're like, you know, Proceed, which is a great single. It just gave you the introduction like, okay, anything is in play with them. Like there's bagpipes on, you know, the title track, Do You Want More, which I've still never heard on any rap song and then by the time you get to Illadelph it's more like okay I think they were tired of being oh like the weird guys that only get love in alternative rap circles like because you know Black Thought's a real MC so it was Malik rest in peace and I think they became more studio guys where they were playing and sampling themselves so then you have uh, Concerto to Desperado there was just like more textures on that record I'm pretty sure Bob Power mixed that joint they had like Rozelle in the mix it was more of like okay we, we take the live rhyming on the street and South Street which is a big spot in Philly and being overseas and playing instruments to we're a real rap group now you know and like Commons down with us and D'Angelo on the Hypnotic and Q-Tips down with us like it's the formation of OK Player which later you know was a formation of Neo sold down the line so it's basically like what if Native Tongues kept going I think like that's what that whole thing to me always symbolized like they were forming their little unit in the wake of Native so on Things Fall Apart which to me is the coronation of this three 
album run, then you get, you know, you know, you got me, which was everywhere, right? But what was what I started thinking about these three albums, which was really ill about all three of them, which they had in common, was on the first one they gave all the shine to Dice Raw on the lesson, where he spits, I mean, gamma radiation as a 15-year-old going off the head, right? Second album, you have Mars, and I was actually lucky enough to see him live. I, I found a little badge. I'm actually looking at it right now from when the roots didn't in-store on release day for things fall apart. I'm not, yeah, on things fall apart day, but Mars did his verse from clones off Illidelf. So like they let another unknown guy on the second album be in the video, crush everybody rhyming. And then on things fall apart, you had Beanie on adrenaline, steal the album, steal the show. Um, and you even had Eve on you got me and Jill, you know, who Erica Badu sang the hook for. So they were really cool at letting people that weren't specifically in the group day to day get their best moments off on a Roots album, strengthening the records, right? Things Fall Apart to me is my personal favorite only because it has most deaf at the right time, common at the right time. Pretty sure the Jazzy Fat, Nast- Fat Nasties might have popped up. Um, like 100% Dundee is crazy. Malik is going hard. But I think, I think those three albums are really pivotal. And especially when Things Fall Apart hit that's when everybody in the city was like okay now we're with you guys like we get it and everyone was really excited for them you know like i had to have like the next movement on that on that record shouts to the podcast the next movement from philly but i think those three really nailed what they wanted to accomplish and how they were perceived and then not just being a gimmick not just being like jazz rap or like safe jam band rap you know like no this is real rap like this is not a game and, uh, and they did it and they still do it so shouts to the roots shouts to those three records and peace to everyone listening peace to create 808 talk to you soon now that's how you break down classic music and the family ethos of this fantastic band big upzilla right there go check out the call out culture podcast but right now let's talk with bz about what a lot of people call the roots's peak moment you got me there are not many love songs. There are not many acts that treat women, the idea of love, as a real thing, especially in 90s hip-hop. I find it very odd. So let's just celebrate it for a second, the fact that they made this love song that when I heard it, again, the music videos, the song's meaning just switched for me when I saw the video. I saw it as a love song. Eric Badu, I know Jill should have been on there, but singing beautifully, it's like, yeah, it's a love song. Seeing the video, and before it goes into that drum and bass bit, which I love, it's actually about him being shot. And him dying, and it's a love song about surrounding death, which makes it even heavier, where you're like, fuck, it's hip-hop, man. This is where it comes from as well. Like, there is tragedy to everything. It's a tragic love song at the end of us. Oh, shit. It just switched when I saw the video. And I didn't, I didn't think that. And this is the levels these guys were working at, man. They were like, we could do anything. And man, just, yeah, this album, just crazy, mate. It's just absolutely crazy. You know, when You Got Me came out, you got to think this was a time and period where, like, you know, in hip-hop where, you know, women wasn't really being used in a respectable format, I guess, mm. in hip hop. So, you know, it was always coming from a disrespectful place Yeah, a little bit. So I think You Got Me was definitely a, a definitely a, a good change of pace. And it was, I'm glad it was a joint that was like being played on radio and being played on yes. mainstream. Like I said, they won a Grammy for that, for that single. So mm. that was kind of dope to see at the, at that time, man. And like, yeah, I'm kind of with you, even though I'm a huge Jill Scott and Eric Badu, I don't care who would have sung it, but yeah, I mean, Jill Scott, if she wrote it, I feel like she should have been the one that, that sung it, but you know, maybe, maybe she felt like, you know, Erica, this is you, you, you yeah. definitely need. Some singers do that. Some singers be like, no, no. Like, even mm. though 
help you write it. They're like, no, Erica, you got the perfect voice for this. Like, you need to do this. So yeah. And, and Joe Scott, I remember it's been a couple of times when when uh the roots perform it. And if she's in town, like Jill Scott performed the hook. You know, she would perform the hook. Yeah. Oh. But, you know, I, I you know, I, I think you got me was definitely a good, a good change of pace. Yeah. For mainstream hip hop at the at that time that it, that it came out. It's one of them albums, right? That yeah, you don't is. realize. So the way I like to listen to like my albums nowadays maybe is I I put the tracks in order of preference and over the years I just realized I think it's ain't saying nothing new that might be my favorite track on the album though I was like how is that how do I listen to that more it's just an amazing thing to have a cut as a kid I probably skipped or I didn't really feel because I've got 100% Dundee adrenaline all this other stuff and then it's like actually no this track when I'm now 40 41 this is now my favourite track I just find that amazing that a group can still do that It just transcends just music then, right? It becomes part of your life and it's like emotional shit. It's like played at weddings and stuff like that. Like you got me, I hear it at weddings. And you're like, yeah, it's like they've definitely transcended just hip hop. They're part of popular culture now, I thought. And um, there's loads of those though, isn't there? Like I think it's without a doubt that track as well as another one, The Return of Innocence Lost. There's loads of these moments where you're like, maybe I don't rewind them, but they definitely make up the album and it's beautiful, man. Now let's check in with another special guest, another one. Yes, this is how we're bringing it. Stacked, Rob Keel from the Next Movement podcast. That's actually from Philly. Listen to this, how he expertly dissects this unique body of work. Peace, this is Rob from the Next Movement podcast based in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. So you know I got to speak on the roots and their first three albums. Do you want more Illadelph Half-Life and Things Fall Apart? When it comes to original debuts, Do You Want More has to rank up there as one of the most impressive. It's a clear attempt to put their live sets on record. The Roots, of course, started playing on the streets of Philadelphia. And Do You Want More really captures their jazz influence, particularly evident on tracks like Dad Scat and Say What Man, really trying to capture their live sound. From my perspective, a wholly unique record. There's nothing out there in 1995 that sounded like it. I have to say my favorite track on Do You Want More is the title track, Do You Want More. Love the bagpipes on that song and just love the energy. Then a year later, they come back with Illadelph Half-Life and it's immediately evident that they have learned some more studio tricks less of that obviously live instrumentation sound and it's a bit darker different perspective got a few more street tales what they do the big single brilliant brilliant criticism of mainstream hip-hop in 1996 huge posse cut clones one of my favorites but today i think my favorite song on the album is push up your lighter with bahamadia also from philly then of course their big breakthrough album things fall apart 1999 for me this is when they finally figured out that they could make art not just record or recreate their live sets and of course this happens at the time that the soulquarians are are getting going i'm not sure that hip-hop knew what to do with the roots prior to that but banding with some like-minded artists elevated them for sure then you've got the big hit you got me featuring erica badu which is originally supposed to feature jill scott just an incredible record one of my favorite albums ever and of course contains the track that our podcast is named after the next movement favorite track on on what is a favorite album of mine is hard to pick but i think when pressed 
it would have to be Double Trouble featuring Mo Steph. Just love the playfulness that they have on that track. Mo Steph and Black Thought going back and forth effortlessly. It's a lot of fun. Peace to Cam and Crate 808 for including me and E, the next movement in these segments. But before I go, I have to say for an in-depth look at the Roots entire catalog, you can head to freemusicempire.com for an extensive chat between myself, Zilla Rocca, and Dan O. Be sure to check that out. Peace. Truly outstanding work there from Rob. Please do go check that show out as it does go in and big up to his pod partner E2. So now let's round this all off. Let's round off this chat with BZ and ask what happened to The Roots after this mad, mad album run. For you though, what happened to The Roots? And I know you alluded to having the best discography, but your your love for The Roots, them as a group, how do you think they went from here? Like after this, where do they go to, do you think? Yeah, with One Neurology, they definitely started getting more experimental because I, I remember that joint uh, Seed they had oh. that was like one of the lead singles. Um, dun, dun, amazing dun, dun, dun. joint. I, forget, I can't remember the name of the artist that was singing a hook on there because he's done oh. some work before. Real, real low-key guy. Mm. Real low-key type dude. I got to find his name now because now it's killing me. I gotta, I'm about to find his name. His name is, yeah, Cody Chestnut. Coach, so I, yes. I how, the, how the heck I forgot his name? <laughs> yeah, Cody Chestnut. Like I feel like they were definitely going a little bit more, you know, a little bit more experimental for the, the next few albums. Um, with Run Neurology, mm. um, and you know, Tipping Point, which was their last album on the Griffin Records. They uh they signed with Def Jam and they did Game Theory, which yeah. that was the return of Malik B. He was on a few tracks on Game Theory and uh Rising Down, uh, which featured a dope verse from Saigon. I think that don't get talked about him. Oh. As on a criminal on the track criminal with truck north who want to challenge mine i'm sick of saint valentine i did the valent crimes why i got the style of rhyme seek repentance to spitting them sentences to senseless experience is the difference you can't convince this in a crime sense niggas is infants i'm like a senior citizen still living but getting benefit put emphasis on hitting my nemesis and high percentages Saigon had a dope dope feature um dope verse on that on good that pull joint. great yeah. pull yeah, and then you know you went to I, how I got over. This was around the time when they when they uh was the the mainstay on the Jimmy Fallon show. So they was again they were getting more more mainstream looks. But mm-hmm. I, the thing about I saw I noticed about the roots every after things fall apart was like I feel like they wasn't like compromising. Yeah, compromising like what we known or love them to do, and I think they kept it that way you know even we start seeing them on jimmy fallon they on jimmy fallon every night but they still make it albums like how i got over and then you turn right around and make probably what a lot of people argue their top three favorite album in their discography the undone which wow. you tell a story backwards you make a concept album about from the moment they got killed to like that shit was crazy like that's, Ken, that's kendrick nuts. lamar shit kendrick lamar yeah. with damn like you not telling me he's not heard the roots do that shit yeah yeah absolutely crazy, crazy. I, and i remember in your, in your email you were saying that an artist from you know a non-90s artist that can be on the roots album kendrick lamar perfect even though big crit was on that roots undone album yeah um, and fonte so you know oh. i think you, know, you got how i got over let's not forget the amazing verse that blue blue did on how i got over on both songs so mm. like hey, you you asking what non-90s um hip-hop artists would be on there yeah those three right there, you know, four, Kendrick, Big Crit, we are Big Crit, Fonte, and Blue. Like, man, so, amazing. So you know that the artists definitely still respect them, new artists. Do you, oh, yes. Do you think they get the respect from hip-hop masses, like the fans generally? Do you think they're respected? I, I, I think they are, but I was wondering what you think. Yeah, I think I think they're definitely respected from the hip-hop masses, even, even from 
younger people who don't really listen to the roots like that. But when they hear the roots, they're like, oh, that's 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 the hip hop band. Like, I, yeah, like I, I know of them. Like they are highly respected. Mm-hmm. I always look at the roots as like, I think the roots would go down. They'd be like the Earth, Wind and Fire of hip hop. Oh, like, like no. Earth, Wind and Fire. I feel like Earth, Wind and Fire when it comes to like R&B and soul music, like people know they're like great. They don't get mentioned enough. But when you mention Earth, Wind and Fire, uh, people in the R&B and soul, they'd be like, oh, OK. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah OK. I feel you. like the roots is going to be like that. Like it's like, mm. yeah, we're going to look at them as like one of the best hip hop roots or one of the best hip hop acts in this culture. But yeah, it's like, yeah, yeah. What about this group? What about this group? What about this group? Oh, what about the roots? Oh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, of course. Can, like, it's like, yeah, they're, they're going to be respected, well-respected in the hip-hop culture once it's all said and done. Like like mm. I said, I look at them as the earth, wind, and fire of hip-hop. Yeah, I know. love that. As well, they go past it, right? They transcend the music. Thor, yeah. I mean, you're talking about Jimmy Fallon, you made a really good point about the fact that They've still got integrity. A lot of people could have hated them for that move. And I'm sure people yeah. did hate them. I, I saw some, they got some hate, but you know, it, it hasn't stuck. And what I love is like Black Thoughts in the Deuce, like just acting, brilliant. He's he's really good as well. He's not just normally, he's not just doing it because he's a rapper. He's actually a really good actor. And then he's going to do them projects with Salam Remy and, and just, you know, spread his wings. And you think, yeah, like it works. Questlove did Summer of Soul. And I'm sure you've seen that. And it's like, Jesus, how talented are you, man? Like, you found this thing that is so much heart in that film. I don't know. It's just kind of amazing. And then he's, he does podcasts. He does, like, you know, writing books. And you're like, how just, yeah, just they were always more than a group, right? And one question I was going to end on for you, though, BZ, right, was um, say there is a versus and say Roots, they get enough space on the stage for Roots. Okay. Who, who's going against them? Who's going against the Roots in the versus? Man, who is going against the Roots? <laughs> I mean, yeah, I would say Tribe, but I feel like Tribe and Daylight is a much more yeah. exciting matchup. Mm-hmm. The only thing I could think of, mm-hmm. but it just still doesn't work, really, because they yeah. haven't got enough music, is the Fugees. Yeah. Even then, it doesn't work. They've only got yeah, really... They don't, have enough, they don't have enough work, though. Yeah. They don't have enough work. So there's you gotta, nothing... If you're going up against the roots, you better have work. <laughs> you got to have work and you better be prepared. But who? Like, Cypress Hill can't do it because they're not the same. They're not... They're, but Cypress Hill have been around for a while, but even yeah, then, they they've not They've not done... Like, two different who, styles, though. But who has? You know, that's the roots, right? Like, who has done 30 years? Consistency, longevity, relevance, constantly bringing bangers. You know, it's very hard. I couldn't think of anyone. Man, that's a good question. That's really a good question. I, I, I've never even thought about who would go up against the roots. Wu-Tang, I mean, I feel like two different, mm. two different sounds. Do you know what? I'm not hating that. You're not hating Wu-Tang? Wu-Tang roots, they've got the work. Yeah, they have, they have the work. They have the work. They have the material. Because mm. anyone, the verses... You're doing 20 versus 20. So yeah, they can, oh. Wu can definitely pull up 20 tracks and I feel like the Roots can as well. Oh, Beasy, where are you Where are you dropping your bets on that one? If it was Wu 20 versus Roots 20. Oh, man. <laughs> I'm so sorry. <laughs> I know. that's. The, I will only say Wu-Tang. I would give them the edge because they have a lot more main... Well, at the time, mm-hmm. mind you, this is at the time. They, have a, they were definitely more mainstream than the Roots. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In the 90s. If you just want to go completely 90s, yeah, I mean, Wu-Tang, I mean, who's not singing Cream? You know yeah, what I'm saying? Yeah, who's yeah. not singing Wu-Tang Clan ain't nothing to fuck with. You know what yeah. I'm saying? Yeah. That, but like I said, if, if, Ru only, if Wu only picking their 20 tracks from the 90s, you know, Roots is going to have to get creative and, and figure out what 20 tracks they're going to use. But yeah, you know, just off the 90s, I got to go with Wu. 
Wu Tang Forever, you know, oh. Triumph. No, 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 you know, Triumph. You've said Triumph. And, like that. Man, Beasy, this has been emotional, man. I've, I've really enjoyed just sitting here, digging into this and shining. We don't need to shine light on roots, people know them, but just to dig in, man, and just really celebrate yeah. that music, man. But um, before you do go, I wanted to just ask what's happening with Dead and Hip Hop? How are you guys doing at the moment? And uh, Yeah, man. Hey, look, Dead and Hip Hop, youtube.com forward slash Dead and Hip Hop. You can just Google us. We'll be everywhere. Um, mm-hmm. They really are. Yeah. Yeah, man, we just working, man. We got Is the Mike Stallone podcast dropping every Wednesday. Um, I also do Dead End Gaming. I'm part of Dead End Gaming. Uh, you can catch us on twitch.tv forward slash Dead End Gaming ATL. Um, playing gaming, talk about hip hop, a little bit, little bit of hip hop talk on there as well, as far as gaming. So, mm-hmm. yeah, man, it's like I'm always busy. I'm always on the go. You like, guys really are, man. Look how many things you just listed there. I'm yeah. like, damn, I'm struggling with this yeah. podcast. These guys are like running, running game, man. But I love it. I, 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 and I think it's, um, as I said to you off mic, and I've said it to you guys on the on the other chat that we had, as a guy who's you know grown up in the last 10 years or so, just watching you guys go from your basketball court to a studio, to doing yeah. a Patreon, to doing this, it's beautiful, man. And it's like, reviews are on point. And you have people like Evidence hitting you up or Brother Ali. And, and you're That's like, this crazy. is... But this is the relevance, right? And they love it. And this is what I'm talking about. Like, it's just nice to know you guys are out there doing it, man. I, you know, I love seeing what you're doing too, man. I, I'm, I'm loving you, seeing the growth and the people that you have on on your on your channel and stuff, man. I think that's like amazing. Like, I, to see that, I'm like, yo, this is so dope. Like, to see the people that you have, like, you know, I'm I, I'd be like, wow, this is dope. So I I, I'm really, you, I hope. Your Patreon, you know, it takes off and it, it and it does well. Like I said, anything to help promote it, if anything for you, man, I, I'm I'm there. I'm oh, there big up, it. bro, big up. The love is real, man. So yes, yeah. there you go, people. The roots. BZ absolutely smashed it out the park and yeah hit us up with your comments hit us up with the, you know any just hit us up on Twitter or whatever and just let us know what you think to the roots and also these if we fucked up anywhere that oh how did you not talk about there's always someone out there how could you not talk about this song so yeah, I'm here for that yeah. <laughs> yeah always hit us up on Twitter man I'm I'm, act- I'm pretty active on Twitter man my, Wicked. my social media is pretty much the same across the board BZ430 lovely BZ430 so love yeah. that man well the doors are always open man so anytime you want to jump on again hit me up and uh, yeah yeah, much love. I'm going to go listen to some Roots now. Absolutely, man. Wicked. Thank you for having me, man. Appreciate you. No, I appreciate you too, bro. Wicked. Peace, bro. Peace. This was a Crate 808 production, co-produced by Intricate Management. All music supplied by Grindhouse Music. <laughs> <laughs>